0: Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, part two of Escape from Polygamy Mountain. Before we get to tonight's interview, I want to thank all of my listeners who have stepped up to the plate and have made a monthly donation or single time donation, monthly donations preferred to Radio Free Mormon. I encourage all of you who have not yet done so please go to RadioFreeMormon.org right now and make a monthly donation today. $10 a month, $20 a month, $50 a month, whatever you can afford. Your contribution will keep Radio Free Mormon broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight, we're very, very happy to have once again in the studio, Sue, or Susan, as she's now called. We're not using her last name, but she talked about her experience with polygamy and her husband Joe in a prior podcast Sue, welcome to tonight's episode how are you doing I'm good how are you I am great thank you for asking I will tell you that let me go ahead and try and recap as best I can because we talked for about three hours before but I'm gonna try and recap this in a minute or two to take us up to where we are we left on kind of a cliffhanging note at the last episode at the end of the last episode Sue is a person who I've known for many, many years. When I first met her, she was living the Mormon dream. She was married to her high school sweetheart. She was a member of the church. They were all active members of the church. They had five children together. And then, a few years after I met Sue first, back in 1990, her husband, Joe, began to hear the siren song of polygamy whispering in his ears. He became uh, exposed to some fundamentalist polygamist mormons i think in you excuse me in idaho and uh one thing led to another and he ended up being convinced of the truth of polygamy sue was not so easy to convince he took about a year with workbooks and uh, a lot of persuasion even coercion i think in order to get sue on board with polygamy they both ended up getting excommunicated even though they did not attend their disciplinary council and then things went from bad to worse joe ended up marrying a young woman i think that that was sylvia correct in idaho
1: and she was a girl yes
0: a girl yes as young as well one of your daughters correct yes and then some things happened joe got spooked he thought the uh, the officials were about to land on him in idaho so he picked up in the middle of the night basically on a day's notice took sue And Sylvia moved from Idaho down south of the border, down Mexico way, and established his own personal little polygamous compound there with Sue and Sylvia. And then later on, he married another wife who was a citizen of Mexico, correct? Yes. All right. And I think there was another person who was in there and married for a short time, but that didn't last very long.
1: The the Mexican wife didn't last long.
0: Okay. Well sue told us about her experiences down in mexico where she lived with joe and company for approximately two years correct
1: yes almost
0: almost two years Mm -hmm. and she even participated actually delivered the baby for was that sylvia yes this was a surreal experience as i remember sue describing it but the thing that finally finally broke the camel's back was when she walked into the house after a hard day's work. That would be a hard day's work for Sue because she did a lot of the work around there, if not the lion's share of the work, walking in and finding Joe sitting in an easy chair and receiving a massage with his two other wives, one of them massaging his hands, one of them massaging his head. Nothing necessarily erotic or scandalous, but suddenly that was the thing. That was the thing that tipped Sue over the edge, and she decided that she needed to leave this relationship and head back to the United States. So, Sue, when we last left, you had made some arrangements because you cannot let Joe know what you have in mind because then he will thwart you. But you had talked to his brother, who was a lawyer in the United States, correct? Not a polygamist. Right. And he had advised you that you really needed to not let Joe know about this because he thought he could be violent. Yes. he did. So. Yes. So go ahead and take us from there because I think I remember you t- talking about getting a few items that you would need on your journey and stowing them away somewhere. And at this time, Joe was up in the United States with Sylvia. Correct? Right. So he's out of the picture right now. You can do a few things. You can get something set aside. I think you even mentioned your favorite knife.
1: A lot of my favorite things. I mean, we were married thirty years, and there were things I used all the time. Absolutely,
0: these are a few of my favorite things. (laughs) Knife. What kind of knife was this that that was your favorite?
1: You know, I don't even remember.
0: I'm guessing. All I remember
1: is I knew that I wasn't going to get anything anyway, so I needed to take the bare minimum, whatever I could take with me.
0: So, what did you have stowed away in addition to the knife?
1: Oh, I had a bucket of rice. I had a bucket of beans. Um, I had a rolling pin, a plate, a fork, you know, a spoon.
0: Uh, And you had some money, right?
1: I had, yes, I had accidentally (laughs) kept some money that Joe had given me to trade to a Mexican friend. They wanted um, American money, and so they gave me pesos. And Joe never asked for it back. And before I always gave him all the money back that if I had changed because that's what he expected. But I thought, no, I'm going to stow this away and maybe I'll just squirrel away some money and I'll have something when I leave.
0: Mm-hmm. That might be handy. Yeah. Now, how far South of the border are you?
1: About six hours. We're, we were in the mountains of Chihuahua.
0: Okay. Which is why it's called escape from polygamy mountain. And we had just gotten to the point where you, it was morning, this was going to be the big day, I think, for you to get away. And then unbeknownst to you, who comes rolling up into the compound, if I can call it that? I'm not sure that is giving an accurate visual representation to our listeners. I don't think there's walls or anything. It's just this sort of uh, shack and some outbuildings and there was trailers. A
2: fence
1: around it. With what? There was a fence around it.
0: There's a fence around it. Okay. But it's out in the middle of nowhere. And right. so Joe comes rolling up with Sylvia. And then
1: they were already there. They they had gotten there the day before.
0: Okay. They got there the day before
1: he came into my trailer and said that he had a list. And he said, there's some things missing from the house. Um, We need to go look for them. Sylvia may had made a list
0: of things. missing. Thanks, Sylvia. (laughs) Sylvia made a list of things that were missing. And by the way, did that list of things that were missing happen to match the the things that you had stowed away?
1: much did he yeah. even say a
0: knife was missing
1: yeah I oh, mean if, who keeps track of that stuff I mean and he just said we can't find it and I said well there's two other women here that work in that kitchen I have no idea I've lost track of where they put things so I have no idea where stuff is
0: right and you were in your trailer when he came up to talk to you about these missing items right Yes. yes all right and so now what happens
1: well, so we went into the house, the little, it was a, um, a, a structure, uh, it had four walls and a roof. The roof was insulated. We did get snow there in the wintertime. So that's where we would have our meals. That's where there was an RV toilet that we flushed with a um, hose. Um, and anyway, uh, so yeah, we went inside and started kind of looking and and Joe says, well, obviously they're not here. So we're going to start looking uh, in everybody's stuff. And we're going to start in Sylvia's room. So we went out to her little um, shack and started looking and um, her bunkhouse. And um, all of a sudden I thought, you know, this is so stupid. I'm just going to have to say, I'm just going to have to tell him. So I just said, you know, look, I need to get out for, for a while and think. Um, before when I wanted, he wanted me to get out for a while and go to some property that we had in Deming, New Mexico. Um, I call that the armpit of hell. It's so horrible there.
0: My apologies Uh, to any listeners from Deming, New Mexico.
1: I'm sorry, but I was on, we were only there. Like if it rained, it was, it was just horrible it was so dry that the ground wouldn't absorb it. So, you know, it it made a big mess, but anyway, and when it rained, it poured. Um, So there was a semi trailer there that he wanted me to stay there for a few weeks and think about what I wanted to do because I was, I was always sad and upset about the, the whole situation. And, and Joe did tell me at one point that he missed my bubbly uh, personality. And I I thought, well, obviously, yeah, it's not going to be there after, all this time, anyway. Um, so where was
0: I? <laughs> so, you were saying that you need to get yeah, out of there and me. for a time, for a time, and think time. about it.
1: I just didn't know what to do. And he said, well, you know, you get out and never come back. So, I started crying. I went to my trailer to start getting my things. He immediately came in and started taking all my pictures of my children that I had out. Um, and uh, he went and got the car and I start. I loaded my stuff up in the back. And at one point um, I had, I had a gun with me and um,
0: one of the guns you smuggled across the border.
1: Yes. And actually I had left it at, at our friend's house. I asked them to keep it for me and uh, to hide it for me. And um, so, but the other thing that I had in my stuff was a sewing machine that I'd had for a long time, real nice sew- sewing machine, and so he went into the car and started taking out this big bag that had this sewing machine and some clothes in it. And I said, "What are you? What are you looking for?" And he says, "That gun." And I said, "No, I've already. That's already sold a long time ago." And so he put it back. And I thought, "Oh, thank
0: goodness! At least I'll have a sewing machine." Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, he perceived- can, I, can I ask you a question, Sue? Yeah. Now, first off. You had planned, this was your day. You were going to leave for good. That was what was in your mind, right? Uh,
1: yes, but not specifically this day. I didn't know how I was going to, when I was going to exit. But I had, you know, I had rented a, a little place, a little sh- room that didn't have it. just had a toilet and a shower in it. Um. Uh, and, you know, that's where I was going to go. And he wasn't going to know where it was. So so anyway, he left my trailer. Um. I got in the car, he went left to go get a, uh, he had thrown my dresser up on top of my uh, car and it was a, had a luggage rack on top and um, he went to get some rope to secure it down and I just drove away and that was that. So I drove to my friend's house, this family that we were, that I was good friends with um, and I asked them to hide my car. They had a, they hid that for me and then I hid at their house and he came to town looking for me two and three times a day.
0: Um, Because you know, Joe, a lot better than I do or anybody in the audience pretty much. And you figured that when he said, I want you to leave and never come back, he didn't necessarily really mean that.
1: Right. (laughs) That's correct.
0: So that's why you had them hide the car.
1: Yeah. So that Joe
0: wouldn't be able to come by and see the car there and know that you were staying at the friend's house. Right. Got it.
1: Um, So he also came some, 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 people that did some work for us on an excavator. We had an excavator that he had sold and they owed us $3,000. And I found out that they, uh, he went immediately. First thing he did was go to them and say, don't give me any money. Cause I was the one that used to collect it mm. uh, when they made payments, but they still owed $3,000. So he went and said, don't give her any money, you know? And that's the last thing I was thinking of, you know? Um, and I called, one of my kids and told her that I was, I had left. Um, she was concerned that I'd go back because it was only half an hour from where we lived. And, um, she knew that her dad was pretty persuasive. Um, this is your oldest
0: daughter, correct?
1: Yes. What did I do? Uh, yes, my oldest daughter. And, um, so I told her I was just going to stay there and I was going to teach English and I had a little place that was $50 a month. I figured I could make that and I had a little bit of, I had $500 saved. So
0: that's uh, where you needed the sewing machine. <laughs> I mean, is that right?
1: I don't know what I was thinking. I was trying to, you know, I was married for 30 years and here I was walking away from everything and I never, I mean, I worked for, for Joe, we had a construction company. I did the books, I I worked in construct. I poured concrete, I, I got on roofs, I did all that stuff, and I never got paid. And so I knew I, I wasn't going to have anything. He'd already started a bank account with uh, over $60,000 in cash that we had. He put that in the bank in Sylvia's name. He had me open that for her. Um, we'd sold properties and we'd put, he was trying to put some other property in other people's names. He told me, you know... I think the government might try to come and take everything from us since we're, you know, living polygamy. They of course don't care. Um, But anyway, so um, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to get anything and here I was almost 50 years old um, and I didn't have really any, I didn't go to college. I stayed home and had babies and I went to some college, but you know, nothing to speak of and no money and nothing. And yet all the bills and everything were in my name. So um, I knew that that was going to have some repercussions as well.
0: Um, so, so can, I, can I stop you for just a second?
1: Mm-hmm. Was
0: there a bank account in your name? No. Was there any property in your name?
1: We did still have a piece of property in Idaho that was in my name. Actually, okay. we had two pieces of property in Idaho. Um, From much
0: earlier. But once you're down in Mexico now, everything is either put in... Sylvia's name or other people's names other than yours and Joe's? Well, those two
1: pieces of property were still in both of our names. In Idaho. Yeah. He was trying to get those out of our names. He was was trying to open up a trust or something in Nevada to put that stuff in. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to get off in the weeds here, but it just seems to me that you're the person who is in charge of the bills you are the uh, person who was in charge of the books when you were doing construction. So it sounds like Joe doesn't necessarily trust you. Is that what it was about? Not putting the bank account in your name, but putting it in Sylvia's name.
1: I think he wasn't trusting that I was going to stick it
2: out.
0: Mm -hmm. And I've got to mention something else here, Sue. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, When you were talking the first time you talked about Joe going up into the United States with Sylvia from Mexico, and leaving you there, and you're doing all this work, and that happened a number of times, and now he puts this bank account of $60,000 in Sylvia's name, and it just seems to me that, as far as, well, let's put it this way, historically speaking, when polygamy was practiced, it was frequently the case that when an early Mormon leader would marry a younger woman, take a plural wife, that suddenly that younger woman started becoming elevated, at least in his affections over his first wife, and then oh, it's yeah. his younger wife that he takes around you know, in the wagon with him wherever he goes. That was actually talked about at a recent uh, devotional at the Nauvoo Temple with Elder Cook and yeah. uh, the lady historian. Uh, I think her last name is Holbrook. I can't remember her first name right now, but she told this story about you know this uh, polygamous Mormon leader and taking the younger wife around. And they kind of laughed about it, but it seemed like that could be rather hurtful. It sounds like you're in the same situation. Did you have yeah. any thoughts about that?
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, speaking of buggy, we did have a buggy and we had mules. And he did go. Uh, I babysat one time and they drove off down the road to have some time together. And after they after they had been, um, quote, unquote, married um, for about two months, of course, they only knew each other for about two months and maybe three months. Um, They, he came to me and he said, I sure wish that you and I could love each other. Like Sylvia and I love each other.
0: Oh no. How did that (laughs) make you feel?
1: Horrible. Horrible. I mean, if you could feel any worse, you know, but he also, um, yeah, he also, I was going to tell you something else about that. Oh, well, before I left a, a couple weeks before I left, Um, it felt like I was constantly, constantly, you know, after, even after that comment that he made, um, and Sylvia didn't have to do a thing to earn that love. Um, I asked him, do you believe in unconditional love? And he said, no, you have to earn it. And that also, I was thinking about that the other day. That's the other thing that contributed to me leaving was I'd been working for 30 years trying to. You know, I, I didn't realize it during the time, but I'd been working for 30 years to try and earn that love. And I didn't. Re- why? I mean, why do you have to do that with a husband? You know,
0: I don't know. But I think having a new wife, a second wife who is as young as your daughter may change the calculus somewhat. Yeah. I'm understating that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, if I can be a little bit, I don't know, you might want to bleep this out, but um, during the time when we were in Idaho, before we went to Mexico, he was trying to get Sylvia pregnant, and so he told me that we couldn't have sex because he needed to have his sperm uh, build up so that he'd be more potent when he had sex with Sylvia so he could get her pregnant.
0: He really told you that? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, he wanted me to. He wanted me to teach her about how to be uh, fulfilled as far as sexually, and then he changed his mind on that one.
0: Wait to say, he wanted you to teach Sylvia about how to fulfill her or him sexually?
1: Herself, I mean, how she could have, I don't know, you might want to bleep this out, how she could have an orgasm.
0: It's okay, we're all adults here, Sue.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, this want, is
0: so- she, Joe wanted you to teach Sylvia, the new wife who's as young as your daughter's, uh, how to was, have an orgasm?
1: What it was to have an orgasm, yeah. Not how to have one, but how explain what it was and how, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, how do you, <laughs> I don't think that's between me and, and his wife. I think that should be between him and his
0: wife. <laughs> That you, just so you understand, and I think you do now, how crazy this all sounds mm-hmm. to say it shouldn't be between you and his wife. It should be between him and his second wife. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm actually glad that we we went into the weeds there because I think that's important to understand
1: well, yeah. what it is
0: that you've been going through for this entire time period.
1: Yeah. And I think that there is so much that we've just skimmed over. We could, we'd be here for you know, forever. I need to write a book because I've been told, but,
0: um, I think I'm the one who told you.
1: Yeah. You and a bunch of everybody.
0: <laughs> because well, I keep telling you, no you book. need to write a book and you say nobody be interested in that story. And I said, everybody would be interested in that story. That's the same conversation we had when I was trying to get you to come on Radio Free Mormon, for an interview, you said, oh, nobody wants to hear about that story. It's too boring. And I said, are you kidding me? Everybody wants to hear about your story. It's yeah. anything but boring. It may seem boring to you because it's your story.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's a little bit of, I mean, if I write it down, actually, it might mean it's real. I don't know. Hmm. I have lots of different thoughts about writing a book. And then my children aren't, aren't, wouldn't be excited about that.
0: Well, um, of course not, but you could use pseudonyms for them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could.
0: Yeah. Just use your real name on the cover of the book as the author and use pseudonyms <laughs> for your children, and that'll cover everything up.
1: Why don't you write the book? You can be the ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you call it.
0: <laughs> we you call it, it takes a village, except it would have a different meaning. Okay. It wouldn't be a village of children. Okay. It would be a village of wives. Okay. <laughs> okay. By the way, we are going to get back to your escape, but this is when, uh, was this, um, what year was this that you're escaping?
1: 2003,
0: 2003, that's 17 years ago. You've been through an awful lot. So have you ever gone to a professional counselor or therapist?
1: Um, I tried a couple times and I would tell him my story. The first one I went to, I told him my story. Of course he was Mormon. Um, told him my story. And I mean, I'm, I was telling it like matter of factly, uh, not upset, just, you know, because I, I, when I left, I pretty much wanted to just distance myself, move on, don't look back, just go. Right. Um, it, it is what it is, you know, and it, that doesn't really work very well, but this guy said, you know, you seem to be adjusted really well. So I don't think you really need me. So I said, okay, but Perfect. then I'd talk to my kids and they'd say, "Mom, you really we don't want to hear it. You need to go talk to somebody." And I tried it again and then they want me to start it when I was a little kid and I'm going, "You know, I'm not doing that. I'm not going that way." So,
0: yeah, my problems aren't from when I was a little kid.
1: <laughs> no. And the well, I mean maybe they are. I mean, why would I why do I uh why did I allow that? Um and I really, I know there are women out there that do allow that and I feel for them and they feel like there's no escape, you know?
0: You must have done a lot of introspection about that. Why do you think you did allow it and go along with it?
1: You know, I think it has a lot to do with your partner. At least for me, I'm an, ex- I'm an extremely loyal person um, and it takes a lot to... Um, I trust before I don't trust. So I trust somebody until I'm not, I'm not quite as trusting now, but I still am. Um, So I trust somebody and unless they really give me reason not to, and I'm loyal to somebody unless they give me reason not to and, well, I mean, one might
0: argue that Joe is giving you plenty of reasons not to before you moved to. I know, Mexico. I know,
1: he was, he was. And why didn't I earlier on? I kick myself sometimes, thinking, you know, when he told me he was going to do the polygamy with or without me, I should have said, "Then hit the hit the road." I'm, I'm not doing it. Get out. I should have done that. But of course, um, I'm supposed to be um, submissive. I'm supposed to be um, obedient. So, and I'm not supposed to get divorced.
0: So. And can I just mention a couple things here? I'm not your therapist, but I play one on TV, Sue. Okay. <laughs> There's a couple things going on here in my mind. The first is the role of women and specifically wives as taught and inculcated by the teachings of the LDS church. Even in the temple, you take vows. And I'm sure you did that you would submit to your husband. Yeah. And so that's not just in the temple. I mean, that's a very sacred vow that we take. But it's also something that you're taught in Relief Society uh, over and over and over again during your history in the church, right?
1: Yeah. After I got divorced, I felt guilty for years. And every time somebody would say something about being, you know, oh, you can always make it work. I'm going, no, you can't.
0: Yeah, that's because they didn't know what it really was about, right? No. They thought it was about money or maybe sex or something. You're having trouble with your husband. They didn't realize right. what it was really about. Right. And then you would tell them what it was really about, right? Right.
1: And then and they'd then, be like, oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> Forget everything <laughs> I just said.
1: When I when I went to a divorce class, you know, because we still had a daughter that was under 18. Um, we were required. I was required to. I don't know if he was required to, but we had to go to this divorce class. And they talked to you about how you go about getting child support increased and all this crap. And I'm going, you know, that's for people that get money legally, you know, that get paid and it's recorded. My husband didn't do that. My ex-husband didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So he hid everything. There's nothing, there's no way I could prove how much he made. Um, and it's just not in the, you know, it's not in the culture. People don't understand that. He could teach classes on how to get out of child support and how to, how to get, screw your wife over of all the work she's done for all of the all these years, or maybe not, but I mean, I, I was entitled to have.
0: Yeah. We're going to get to that divorce here as we proceed, because I know that happens later on in your story. By the way, the other aspect that I'm thinking of, specifically as it relates to Mormonism, is not only do they teach wives to be submissive to their husbands and to take his word and follow his word, even as you would follow the word of the Lord, um, but also... Mormonism itself has this history of polygamy. Right. And it was practiced for decades in the LDS church, and it was taught to be a command from God. We still have section 132 in the Doctrine and Covenants, the revelation on plural marriage. And so it's if you're a Mormon, it's not like this plural marriage idea just comes completely out of the blue. It's not like it's not tethered to your religious well, not necessarily your beliefs, but your religion. Well, your religion, your church, and its history.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, I uh, being—I mean, I wanted to be in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, so of course, I accepted the the um, plural marriage, the eternal plural marriage. Later, you know, and I thought, well, for sure, it's it's got to be right because it's a true principle, and we're going to all be living it. So I'm not going to worry about it here because we don't do it here.
0: Mm. This is a very interesting point that you're raising, which is that this is even before Joe has gone off the rails, is that you as a Mormon woman, you understand that there's going to be, or at least believe it's widely taught and understood, that there is going to be polygamy in the afterlife, if not practiced here in the here and now in the LDS church, it is going to be something that may well be practiced in the afterlife. And that that is going to be perhaps a requirement to be in the highest level of the celestial kingdom. And therefore, you had already kind of resigned or resolved yourself to that prospect of eternal polygamous marriage. But not here, just in the afterlife. Because, of course, that's what's going to make the celestial kingdom so so happy for you. Such a happy place, right? That's one of the difficulties in putting okay. your wrapping your head around that idea. But, you know, everything will work out and God will change your heart and you'll understand better then, right? But you've already yes, gotten yourself... Not- what?
1: And a lot of people, a lot of women were upset about it. And I said, you know, um, if you can't grasp that true principle now and be happy with it now, God isn't going to change your, your um, heart later because when you die, you go with what you believe and what you feel now. So that's how I believed.
0: So you are religion. already you're already one step away from the precipice because Mormonism has prepared you. And I think it prepares women. This is an insight that you're giving to me right now, just so you know, is that if you accept already the idea of polygamy in the future, then you're just one step away from accepting it right now.
1: Probably. I mean, I didn't look at it that way. Yeah. And when the first girl that I approached to ask to come into our family said, no, I'm like, well, good. That was a test. So, well, let's just move on. We're not going to do the polygamy thing.
0: Right. But uh, Joe was not so easily dissuaded. No. If at first you don't succeed, have Sue try, try again. And
1: you know, try, 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 try again. And even 11 year old, I don't know if I mentioned that last time, but there was an 11 year old girl in in Mexico. He wanted me to approach. He said, oh no, she's 12. Well, 11, 12. Wait a second. Wait
0: a second an 11 year old girl in Mexico that that Joe spots out and wants to marry.
1: Yeah. It was a a family that we knew down in LeBaron and they had, there was two wives that were Mexican and the husband was from the United States and they had seven children and the oldest one was 11. And, um, he wanted her to get to know her family so that when he would wait until she was 15 or 16 to have her become his wife. So,
0: so what did he want you to do yeah. when she was 11? And there's an argument, I guess, and he's saying she's 12, so it's okay.
1: Yeah. And I thought, you know, I mean, and then he says, well, do you want me to have Sylvia talk to her? Um, and I said, no, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. Cause you know, I'm trying to earn that I didn't know at the time, but here I was earning, trying to earn his love. But uh, yeah. What
0: happened? You went <laughs> yeah, and talked so to an 11 year old girl?
1: Well, I talked to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, hang on. So I think we're having yeah. a little bit of trouble with the audio, but uh, I wanna make sure that we capture this. Well, that's what I, okay. Can you tell us about what happened in your conversation with this 11 year old girl?
1: Well, I just told her, I mean, she was in polygamy. She was being raised in polygamy. And I just told her that we really liked her and her family and that um, we'd like them to come um, up to our property um, occasionally so that we could get to know them better. And that we, you know, we'd maybe like to eventually have her uh, join our family.
0: What did she say?
1: I don't even remember. (laughs) I remember going on the walk with her, but I remember saying those things, but I don't remember anything that happened after that. (laughs) I was just kind of the whole time thinking, "This is insane. This is crazy. What am I? What am I doing?"
0: So, did the family with the little eleven-year-old girl come to visit you?
1: Oh, they all came up and visited. Yeah, they stayed for a weekend.
0: Were the parents okay with this?
1: Yeah, they okay. were polygamous.
0: I'm sorry, what? They're polygamous? Yeah. Wow. Polygamists, okay. Yes. This is bad enough, but I do want to be clear. Joe is not saying that he wants to marry her when she's 11 or 12. He just wants to get his foot in the door, so to speak, and uh, sort of mark her as his so that when she does get right. to be, how old he can marry her?
1: 15 or 16.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay.
1: Of course, I think that would have made him over fifty. I don't
0: know. That would have that done what? <laughs>
1: that that would have made him over 50.
0: Marrying a 15 or 16-year-old. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, but you left before it's she became 15 or 16 old. then, right?
1: Yes. I, nothing ever became of that because um, I have friends that live in the area where he lives and they, they, would, they used to call me and tell me different things about who he was marrying and who, who was leaving. And um, out of seven wives, he's only got one left, Sylvia.
0: <laughs> wait, wait a second now. Okay. I'm so sorry, but just backing up a second, out of seven wives...
1: Uh huh. Seven. Sylvia's sister was one. Um, I that was after I left. Um, and, and then Sylvia's cousin was another one. And then there was somebody else that um, I'm not sure about that one. But the um, <clears throat> the one I don't know. Did we we discussed one of them that was in an accident and they had some brain damage yes. last time? Yes. Um, she told me about the last one that was there and left, and I was pretty shocked because. Um, she's the one that talked to me about, um, when I was upset after I left Joe and was going through the divorce, she would, didn't, she said, don't let him have power over you by being upset with him.
0: So, so, so she's trying to get you to not be upset. With I don't him. know if that's really true. Right. She's trying to get you to not be upset right. with him. Wow. So seven total one left. And when I say one left one remaining, but let's get back to where you left. All right, So you go to this friend's house. It's about half an hour away. You're hiding the car. Joe's coming by two or three times a day to check on you. He tells these people, do not give Sue the $3,000 that you owe me or any portion of that money. And now what happens?
1: Well, I had called my daughter and then she was calling me every day saying, you know, why are you still in Mexico? And finally I said, you know, my car is uh, the the permit has expired to it, so I don't dare drive that over the border, try to drive over the border. Oh, can we push pause? Oh, it hung up. Good. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> it was my husband. Um, anyway, uh, can we can we pause this?
0: Yes, we'll pause right here.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Okay, I'm resuming now after that brief interruption. And yes. so you're telling us about how it was that you made your escape.
1: Okay. So my daughter was calling me. She was worried I was going to go back. She was worried her dad was going to find me. And then finally, after about the third or fourth day, she called me and said, "Um, I purchased a ticket for you for four o'clock to fly out of El Paso and to Salt Lake. And so you better be on it because it cost me $500. And of course she was newly married. She didn't have money or anything, but, um, So the next morning, I got on a bus early and went to the border, and I was worried I wasn't going to get over the border, because I guess there was a flag on, we used to go back and forth all the time on the border, and they must have had a flag or something, because they were searching me and searching my bags, and, you know, when I got a little bit nervous and tried to grab my bags and say, I have to go, you know, they, they, you know, said, do you want to do this with handcuffs on, or do you want to just sit back and relax and let us do our
0: job. You got a plane to catch.
1: Yeah, I had a plane to catch. I had to find a taxi and everything. So I did make it. Um, I don't even remember how I, any of that. I just remember getting off the plane in Salt Lake and my daughter was, she was pretty upset because um, before I left, several months before I left, I kind of quit eating and, and, I started losing a lot of weight. I started exercising a lot. Um, My friends that I used to go visit, I did a a step aerobics class with the wife and they could see that I was losing weight. So anytime I went there, they tried to feed me and everything. So, and they they didn't take no for an answer, of course. So um, I was, my daughter thought I was anorexic. Maybe I was.
0: Why did you stop eating?
1: everything was just so stressful stressful I just I I don't know I I don't know why I did I just didn't think about eating anymore and I just I ran three miles a day and then I did the the uh step aerobics and a couple times a day and they had wood steps up down there for step aerobics it was pretty funny
0: (laughs) why is it you're doing all this exercise
1: take keep my mind off of my life. I think that's probably what it was.
0: Right. Well, can I just pause here to say for a second, I know your oldest daughter and I just want to give a huge shout out to her. Way to go. Way to go. Because I've got this feeling that if she had not done that, if she had not bought that ticket, paid $500 when she couldn't afford it and say, it's there, you better get there that you might still be in Mexico.
1: Probably. I don't know. She did tell me, or I did tell her that I was only going to do that if, um, you know, I was going to go get my divorce. And then I wanted to come back to Mexico and teach, teach Spanish or English. And I said, only if you agree to bring me back. Okay, mom, we will.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anything. We'll say anything right now. Just get up here. That's right. <laughs> you know, can I just pause for a second? This it sounds like you actually developed a love for Mexico and the people there. I did. I really did. And you could speak Spanish fluently.
1: Um, at that time, they I mean, I'm sure I wasn't speaking correctly, but they didn't care because they could understand me.
0: I mm-hmm. said, can
2: you
1: please help me and learn correctly? And they said, we don't care. We can understand you. So it's great. You're doing great. So.
0: Okay. So you make it up to Salt Lake City. You're emaciated. Mm-hmm. Your oldest daughter, whose name I almost just said but did not, mm-hmm. your oldest daughter's very, very upset about this. And then take us from there because this is back, this is 2003, correct? Mm hmm. All right. What happens after that?
1: Well, we go to her house and I'm sitting there with nothing to do. And it's a little teeny one bedroom apartment with her new husband. And um, I kind of just sit there and I walk over to the little thermostat control and. You know, I just stare at it and turn it up. And I'm like, oh, you can get warm really quick this way instead of using hot water bottles. And um, I was taking, you know, three baths a day. And finally, my daughter's asking me if I'm okay. And I said, sure. Yeah, I'm great. This, I can't believe we can turn on. It just, you turn on a knob and you got hot, hot water mm-hmm. as much as you want. So, yeah, it was it was pretty bad.
0: Yeah. yeah. So she
1: got tired of me after a couple of weeks. She couldn't take it anymore. So she shipped me off to my son in California.
0: Okay. And this is a different son than the one who was in Idaho.
1: Yes. Different. Okay. son.
0: Yes. By the way, you had left uh, your two daughters, your two youngest daughters. When you fled out of Idaho for Mexico, you've been gone for two years. How do you reconnect with them?
1: Well, when I came up to Idaho, well, that's another story. Um, but when I went up to Idaho, um, I kind of tried to connect with my daughter. And at that point, she, she, I found out later that she had some abandonment issues, of course. She was only, you know, 15 um, when we left. And I mean, here my son was hiding her and she was scared to death that she was going to be you know, taken off to Mexico and made to live polygamy. And so uh, she had abandonment issues and it, it was tough. I tried to get her to talk to me and she wouldn't. She finally, she finally did talk to me and I started crying. And, you know, she says, well, that's why I didn't want to talk to you. And I said, well, just because I'm crying doesn't mean I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk to you. But, you know, I said, this is what it is, you know, and I've still uh, every mm-hmm. once in a while, I just tell her how, sorry I am. And you know that I wish I would have chosen more wisely.
0: How are things between the two of you now?
1: We're really close now. We talk or text every day.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that.
1: Yeah. My other daughter had already moved out when she was 17. My, my husband encouraged her to move out because I was being a poor example to her for polygamy, And she's the one that, um that uh, the, the family of the husband and wife approached us and told us that the wife had a dream that she was supposed to be their second wife.
0: Right. There's a lot of that going on.
1: Yeah.
0: So that was your youngest daughter. You talked about first, uh, your second youngest daughter, but it was your oldest daughter. Cause you have three daughters. It was your oldest daughter who bought you the plane ticket and insisted right. that you get out of there.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Well, can you tell us about the divorce?
1: Well, when I was in, uh, well, After I went to live with my son, stay with my son, um, I'd been at my daughter's for three weeks and then I went to his house and after a couple weeks, I said, I kind of woke up and I said, here I am, a grown woman living with my kids. I don't have any money. Um, I did have a credit card that had gotten canceled by um, one of, you know, Joe's wife, Sylvia. Um, So I started that back up, but didn't know that it was just in my name but I took some cash out of that. But then I thought, you know, I need to get on with my life. I need to get a job. I need to move into my own apartment.
0: So. <clears throat> Can I back up just a second? Yeah. This credit card you had that was canceled. That was in your name only.
1: Before it was in both of our names.
0: Yours and Sylvia's.
1: No, uh, Joe's and mine.
0: Okay. But they, uh, after you left, they, they canceled it cause they didn't want you to have access to the credit from the card.
1: Right. He canceled everything, but then he kept the the bills. He didn't pay any of the bills and he, I had a, the cell phone was in my name. And by the time I figured that out, it was at $600 for that bill. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I took some money out and I went back to, (laughs) let me tell you something first. We talked about how I would accept drinks if somebody offered me a drink at somebody's house in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So when my son picked me up at the airport, it was 11 o'clock or so. And he took me for lunch and, um, he said, you want anything to, what do you, what do you want? And I said, well, I'd like a tequila sunrise. And he about dropped uh, over. He was shocked because he'd never seen me drink, never heard me talk about having a drink. Um, and he's like, mom, it's not even noon yet. I said, well, it doesn't matter.
0: It's five o'clock somewhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> and he's not LDS. I mean he he is but he doesn't he's been inactive for years. Um anyway,
0: uh so And you told him, "Look, if anybody deserves a drink, it's me."
1: <laughs> yeah, and when I look back at it, I thought I'm thinking you know, something must have been wrong with me because if I'm ordering a drink and it's not even noon, I mean that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't even do that now.
0: You see, it's so interesting to me that you think there must be something wrong with me when I'm here listening to your story and I'm thinking, that's the most understandable thing in the world.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't drinking from morning till night.
1: Well, actually, I did get out of control for a little bit at my son's house because, you know, he drinks and uh, his friends had a party and... um I drank a little too much and I thought, I better get some food going here. So we sat down to eat and I took a couple bites and then all of a sudden I put my head in my hands and next thing I, I just wanted nobody, I didn't want anybody to touch me, just leave me there. <laughs> my son came over and told me we were going home and I'm like, why? He says, because uh, you're passed out. And I said, well, I'm talking, so I'm not passed out. I'm just, don't touch me, just leave me here. And uh, so he got me up, got me to the front door. And what did I do? Lost it. I lost everything I threw up.
0: (laughs) Outside the door or inside?
1: Outside.
0: Oh, thank goodness for that.
1: No kidding. But all the friends are seeing me do this, you know?
0: (laughs) Mom is dancing on the tables.
1: Yeah, I I was too far gone to be able to do that.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, knowing you like I do, I can understand why he was shocked, but I'll bet his friends had a really good time.
1: Yeah. And then when I got back to Salt Lake, my daughter's husband, now ex-husband, he had bought some tequila and they wanted to see me drunk. Oh <laughs> so at that point, I was like, I think I need to stay away from alcohol. <laughs> I think I would be an alcoholic if I drank.
0: <laughs> so you yourself limited your consumption, said you're not going to drink anymore?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I have a couple times recently. I mean, you know, some wine or whatever with Mm -hmm. my daughter. Sure. (laughs) My youngest.
0: Like Paul says to Timothy in the New Testament, a little wine. A little wine. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's all good. Um, All right. So now the divorce, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I went back to Salt Lake. I got a job. Um, I got a two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment because I wanted my youngest to come and live with me, but she wouldn't. She didn't. She thought I'd make her go to church. Um, and so, um, on her birthday in 2004, um, actually before that, when I was at work, um, some people from the embassy came, uh, to my work and tried to serve me with divorce papers that were all in Spanish.
0: The Mexican embassy.
1: Yeah. And, um, I, when I saw these people, I didn't know what they wanted. So I immediately left to go in the back and told the security guy that there's some people looking out there for me and I don't, they need to leave. And so they chased them away. Um, So I was able to uh, my, I had started back to church. So my Bishop connected me with an attorney to go see the embassy and talk about what was going on. And it was divorce papers. And, um, So I had to get an attorney and um, of course I had no money. So I got an attorney that um, understood the situation and was willing to do it and get paid later. So um, I guess get paid later. I don't know. I don't know what he thought at first, but anyway, um, so on my daughter's birthday, let's see. Since since those papers, those divorce papers from Mexico, since they were no good. Um, why are they no good? Because I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. But my the attorney that I had gotten um, did something and got a hold of Joe and said, you know, since, since that's not going to work, because she doesn't live in Mexico, neither do you, because he'd left. Um,
0: oh, that's probably... A good reason why they wouldn't work. There's yeah. no jurisdiction.
1: Yeah. So he says, so we've got these divorce papers. So why don't you just sign you know, ex- accept these divorce. So he did. Um, and so um, anyway, so at that point um, on my daughter's birth, my youngest daughter's birthday, um, she was living in a house across the street from property that we had in Idaho where we had a lot of stuff stored that wasn't in Mexico. Um, Joe went there. Well, let me let me back up Joe had gotten a I had gotten a a protection order against him and I used that Idaho property as um, the address because my attorney said that way it'll protect everything that's still there he can't go onto that property and get it so I said oh perfect so we did all that and um, I'm still in Salt Lake and uh, or I had gone back to Salt Lake so on, on my daughter's birthday She woke up to see her dad across the street with a semi truck, um, loading everything up from that property. And what happened was on Friday afternoon, uh, his attorney, he he had his attorney go to the judge and say, oh, we need to change this address on this protective order because she doesn't live there. She's in uh, Utah right now. So we better change the address. So they changed the address. So then that's without
0: happening. notifying you. Yes. Are you kidding me? No. Okay. That's hinky. Go on. Yeah.
1: So he, he took everything. Um, I have a friend that was well <laughs> a lady that supposedly married him later. Uh, she took videos of him taking things.
0: So basically what they did was they went before a judge without notifying you, a judge in Idaho, on an ex-party basis, got the judge to change the order so it doesn't restrict Joe from going to the property that has all the stuff on it. And then immediately after getting that order entered, he backs in a semi-truck and starts loading things up.
1: The next morning, yep. Yeah, bright and early on my daughter's birthday. I thought that was just a real, uh, maybe he didn't even remember it was her birthday. I don't know.
0: He has a lot of birthdays to keep track of.
1: <laughs> oh, anyway, I think at that point he only had one, uh, well, my five and his, his, one illegitimate one wife. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> we want to make sure you, you're not talking her about baby. any of the kids, her I mean, baby. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. The one that you delivered.
1: Yeah. The one I delivered.
0: What's that birthday, by the way,
1: December 25th, 2003.
0: Okay. Well, you remember, I got to admit it's an easy date to remember, but still oh,
1: 2002, excuse me, 2002.
0: Eh, thank you for playing. <laughs> we have some lovely parting gifts okay (laughs) so we've got joe backing stuff up now it's legal but you don't know it's legal tell us what happens with this divorce because obviously i'm thinking you're thinking i got to do something and get some court orders in place because he's robbing me blind
1: no my attorney wasn't a divorce attorney so he pretty much just took everything i went into the prosecuting attorney there in idaho and told him what happened told him what he you know that he was having sex with an underage girl. And he said the prosecutor said, well, did you know about it? And I said, well, yeah. And he says, then we could charge you too. So
0: no, they can't. That's a lie. And he's a liar. He said, okay, you're not an accomplice to that. Mere presence <laughs> is not uh, criminally he actionable.
1: Here's about anybody doing polygamy, unless I guess you go on TV. I don't
0: know. But wait can. a second. I want to back up. This is a male prosecutor. Yeah. And you're going in to report Joe for statutory rape, what's called rape of a child. Yeah. And his response to you is, really? Tell us what you know. Where is he located? What, what information do you have? Let's take a statement. His response to you is, well, you know, we could charge you? Yeah. What's that prosecutor's name?
1: I don't even remember.
0: <laughs> it's a good thing for him because we'd be broadcasting it loud and wide. Right now, well, if you, you can did. look
1: it up on the internet, probably.
0: Yeah, what county was this? Idaho. That's a big county. It's Grangeville. I'm sorry, Grangeville, Idaho. Yeah. Grangeville, Idaho, back in 2004.
1: Two 2000? Two, no, 2000 and 2004. Yeah, 2003, 2000. No, it had to be 2004 because I left so, in November of 2003.
0: So. Right. Okay. So that's yeah. his response, and so what happens? Nothing.
1: Nothing. I what you, left. What I you got do? scared and left.
0: <laughs> it sounds like that's the whole idea.
1: Um. Yeah, probably.
0: I mean, he could not be supporting polygamy.
1: I, yeah, because I told him that, that he took everything and we're going through a divorce. And there, were, there was supposed to be a protective order, you know, with that address. And yeah, he didn't do anything. Didn't care.
0: He could not be more supportive of Joe's polygamy than yeah. if he... I can't imagine him saying anything that would be more supportive of him and getting you to flee in fear and not press charges. I mean, if anybody's the accomplice here, I think it's the prosecuting attorney.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, look, I, I have a lot of friends and acquaintances who are prosecuting attorneys and I was one myself for eight years. There are a lot of good prosecutors out there. This is not one of them.
1: Yeah. I don't think we had a good judge either.
0: Okay. Well let's go on with your story because it okay. gets embroiled in a divorce. Yeah. How does that happen?
1: Uh, which, where do you want me to start?
0: <laughs> well, mo- most divorces start at the wedding, but we've gone <laughs> way.
1: <laughs> I wish,
0: I wish. I'm sure you spent a lot of time wishing, but what, yeah. what is it that happened? What is it that happened? Uh, the divorce, it happens in Idaho, right? Cause you yeah. mentioned earlier that you got your attorney got Joe to sign papers, but those papers were not divorce papers where they, they were just accepting service for the divorce in Idaho.
1: Right. Right.
0: So you still got to have your divorce in Idaho.
1: Yeah. We had to go through all those depositions and all the, all that crap that doesn't mean a thing.
0: But it not costs a, a lot.
1: And I'll tell you what, if you're going to leave your husband, I, I'm sorry, husbands, but just from my experience, um, possession is like 99 and nine 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 tenths percent of the law. Possession doesn't matter what the judge says. You can have, you don't get it.
0: Well, I want you to take us through that and why it is that you came to that conclusion. So there's a <laughs> lot of depositions. Where's Joe living at this time?
1: Um, I think he was, I think he was in Idaho.
0: Okay. Cause he had to be present for the depositions.
1: Um, well, we didn't do it in, we just did it on paper. We just, okay
0: interrogatories
1: not a deposition interrogatories
0: uh, and requests for production yes, yes uh-huh okay no actual deposition where he showed up
1: no no oh no i not didn't even, i was scared to be even in court i said i told my attorney i can't be in court with him at all ever
0: <laughs> why did you feel that way
1: oh because he's so intimidating i'm telling you i'll tell you what happened too when i was at my son's house Uh, One of my friends called and she said that Joe had called her trying to get her to bring me back to Mexico to to talk to him. He tried to get my son to bring me to Mexico to talk to him or wherever it was. Um, And when my friends, you know, he asked my friend, well, what's she doing? I mean, because all I did was leave and then I didn't know what to do. I was just like overwhelmed. I was like, I don't know shell shocked. And, um, she just told him, well, she needs to think and, you know, recover and all that kind of stuff. And Joe got mad at her and just said, well, she's not the one that was abused. It was me. And so, you know, she tried to convince, he tried to convince her that it was him that was the victim.
0: But she wasn't buying it.
1: Oh no, no.
0: But you didn't want to be in a courtroom in the same room, even a courtroom. With Joe, by the way, that's a very common, it's a common feeling. Uh, But you ended up having to be in the same courtroom with him, didn't you? Because the vast majority of cases, uh, divorce cases or any other kind of case, don't go to trial unless the parties are really at loggerheads and they can't agree on one or more things. Did you just go to trial?
1: Yeah, it did. I had a, a binder of evidence showing that I had bought gold um not very long before a lot of gold that we had a lot of cash that we'd sold properties that we had cash we sold equipment lots of cash um and you know joe just all he said was i mean i had cashier's checks i had everything and i had that that picture of him taking things from the property the video and that um, your daughter made no, my daughter hadn't made it. It was the lady she was staying with.
0: Okay, but on the day when he backs up the the truck and is loading stuff up.
1: Yes, yes, I had all that evidence.
0: You have an attorney. Me. Yes.
1: Yes, he's a criminal attorney. He's not a divorce attorney, so he has not what's going on.
0: Well, okay, but he's presenting all this evidence to the judge.
1: Right, and he, my my bill got really high because he was trying to go after him for the polygamy thing, the criminal stuff and it didn't really matter. Um, yeah, so, and and Joe tried to hide the properties that we had, <clears throat> and for him, the attorney had to uncover, do all the work to uncover that we had that property. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Joe finally admits to it in court. Oh yeah, we do have that, you know. He
0: admits to the property. Yeah. Okay, so. Not
1: just- the gold, not the money. That was all gone before I left. And I That's mean- That's what he had- said. Yeah, a year, two years, a year and a half, two years before is when we started accumulating all this. Well, we'd we'd already had a bunch of gold that we had saved, but we had started accumulating all the money from the equipment we sold, from the properties we'd sold. Um, There's no way it could have been gone because we were living in Mexico. Right. I mean, primitively.
0: So you know that you're accumulating things. There's a big reserve of gold and cash. And all he does is come into court and say, yeah, we used to have that, but it's all gone now.
1: Yeah. It was gone before I left.
0: Ah, okay. So
1: and the judge believed him.
0: The judge believed yeah, him.
1: Because, yeah. Because Joe was living off of a credit card. He said, I can't even afford to pay bills. I have to use a credit card. And so it, amazingly, my credit card debt that, that was in my name equaled his credit card, credit card debt. So that canceled that out. So I didn't even get paid for the, what was on the credit card from even when I was the credit cards that I was when I lived with him. So so that what, got, did you,
0: what did you get awarded in the divorce?
1: Um, well, I got awarded uh, the trailer that I lived in. Um, I got awarded the rototiller that we had, a, a, a bunch of things, a washing machine and a
2: dryer.
0: What, what about the property? I mean, oh, I, I as fascinating the, as the rototiller and the washer and dryer are, I mean, I what about it, the good stuff, the property?
2: I got the
1: property in Mexico that wasn't ours and Joe put a value on it. We had, he had paid $7,000 for it. Well, it was, it had... 200 apple trees on it and if you take care of the apple trees then you can live on it but it's government property what about
0: the property in idaho
1: oh i ended up getting uh one piece 40 acre piece
0: okay okay so you didn't walk away empty-handed all right
1: not even close to half of what we had
0: (laughs) okay okay
1: so the property in idaho or in mexico i ended up selling that for 1500 dollars
0: Oh, wow.
1: I told him when he paid 7,000, I said, that's, that's crazy. They're just, they know we're, we're Americans. They think we have lots of money. And so that's what they're going to ask for. And they don't own it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the taxes on it, as long as you pay the taxes on it, which is $10 a year, you know, and you, and, uh, produce something on it.
0: Okay. So I don't want to get too much into the, the nitty gritty if you're divorced, because this isn't a divorce show. Back when I was a kid, they had the show on TV called Divorce Court. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was pretty racy for the 60s, I think.
1: Yeah, it was.
0: But you've got this whole thing where you're divorcing a polygamist. And I don't know, generally, generally speaking, in most courts in the country, uh, the woman who has been Uh, working at home, raising the kids, not pursuing a career necessarily. Generally, she gets, uh, oh, a little better than 50 maybe 60% in a divorce action. But that was not your experience. No. But a a lot of that's because he was lying about the gold and the cash.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, we also, when we were in court, um, he, my attorney had forgotten to ask for alimony. What? What? Yeah.
0: Because that was going to be my next question. Well, what about, what about alimony? How much did they have to pay that your attorney forgot to ask?
1: Yeah. So we had to do a continuance and
0: a continuance of what the I trial, had,
1: Huh?
0: a continuance of what the trial,
1: whatever it is. Um, no, <laughs> um, I'm, I, I'm not sure how exactly it went. And if I tell you, you'll probably go, well, that can't happen, but this well, is what Idaho.
0: Anything can happen in Idaho. I'm, I'm learning from you.
1: This is what I'm remembering is that um, we, so of course we have to ask. Did you pause your thing? Can you hear me?
0: Okay, Sue had asked me to hit pause while she gave me some background information about why it was that her attorney did not ask for alimony. All right, so your attorney did not ask for alimony. You're at apparently the trial, probably the entry of the final orders. And your attorney says, uh, "Oh, excuse me, Judge. I forgot to ask for alimony." And the judge asks you, "Well, do you want to continue this, or do you want to be divorced today?" And you said,
1: "I want to be divorced today. I want to be done with this. I, I don't want uh, and I and I had asked to have my maiden name
0: restored to me." Okay, so but
1: I wanted away, away, as far away as I could from any of that experience.
0: Right. So because you wanted to get divorced immediately and as soon as possible, you said, I want to be divorced now. So you for the ability to get any alimony.
1: No, that's the strange thing is I was divorced, but then we didn't do anything with the um, deciding who gets what or anything like that. From what so, I remember.
0: So the judge signed the decree of dissolution, but the orders as far as the separation of property were entered later. Yeah. Okay. Well, it just strikes me that if the decree of dissolution is entered and the property is distributed by later orders, then a later order regarding alimony could have been entered. But I wasn't there. I don't know. But you didn't get any alimony as the bottom line.
1: Yeah. I mean, we asked for it. Then when we got back together, we asked for the certain things. And uh, I wanted $500 so I could go back to school and get a degree and be able to have some income.
0: You mean $500 a month?
1: $500 a month. Okay. And um, Joe just said, well, then I should be able to go back to school too. And um, so that should offset the alimony.
0: Okay. That's a ridiculous argument. What did the judge say? Okay. <laughs> he said, okay.
1: Yeah. I didn't get any
0: alimony. This judge, this judge, what is he, a closet polygamist too?
1: I. You know what? I thought I, I thought he was a good judge to have. That's what I was told. They said, oh, thank goodness you got that judge. It was horrible.
0: Yeah, things could have been really bad.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, what is this thing about women screwing their husbands over when they get divorced and they take everything from them? And they live in a little shack and don't have money to eat. or. Uh, I didn't experience that at all.
0: Not your experience. And I didn't
1: try to. I, I, I mean, I just wanted my half.
0: Right. And so basically you got your half, at least of what the judge found existed and no alimony.
1: Yeah. Cause yeah, Joe got another piece of property, a couple other pieces of property, the one in New Mexico. And he got the one, another one in Idaho.
0: And Sue after a 30 year marriage. Yeah. That is phenomenally reprehensible. That judge I, should be impeached.
1: Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty bad.
0: Okay. Well, anyway, so you divorced oh, I mean,
1: here's the Here's the other thing was um, when, when we were going with this, we, they wanted to, maybe it was it right after the divorce or, or maybe it was before he did the divorce that could have been it. Okay. So here's what happened. So they wanted us to negotiate. And I said, I'm not going to be in the same room with that man and negotiate. So um, we went back and the, the attorneys went back and forth and I, we sat in our own rooms. Yeah. I had
0: said, a mediation.
1: Yeah. I said, I can't be. And so the, um, I mean, he was going to loan me some money, $15,000, a loan. Um, and he said that I could have the loan that we gave to our one of our daughters to go to massage therapy school, which it wasn't a loan. We didn't have any signed papers for it, which he said we did.
0: He would assign you the loan that you made to your daughter.
1: Yeah. And he would... <laughs> Yeah. So that she could pay me back. Like I'm going to ask for it back. She was already married and had kids and she, she wasn't doing her massage therapy. I would never expect that. Um, but he would, um, and he never paid for school for anybody else and nobody else really went to school. Um, so. Okay.
0: Sue. mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I know this is very emotional for you. It's bringing up a lot of emotions and anybody's divorce is emotional, but I want to try and move out of this. Okay. That's okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm gently guiding us away from the divorce. You got divorced. Was that like 2005 or 2006?
1: 2004.
0: Wow. That happened pretty quick.
1: I think it was June, June, August 4th, 2004.
0: (laughs) You remember that date?
1: Yeah. I remember the day I, I took the bus out of Mexico. November 3rd, 2003. (laughs)
0: <laughs> very, very good. These are important dates. I'm glad you remember them for your sure. book, if nothing else, but now you are a person who has a connection to the LDS church. You've been a member all of your life. Then you get excommunicated as part. No, of I,
1: if, I, I joined at
0: 18. I'm sorry. I meant that I joined when I was 18 too. And I usually call, I say I'm a member all my life, I mean, but that's um,
1: 47 years,
0: all of your adult life. Right. Okay. Now you've been excommunicated as part of this polygamy fiasco that Joe dragged you kicking and screaming into you're back in the States and you end up wanting to reaffiliate yourself with the LDS church, correct? Okay. Why did you want to get back in the church?
1: Well, I didn't want to at first. In fact, um, my ex husband's brother had invited me and my daughter that flew me out of Mexico over for dinner. And he says, well, now that you're away from Joe, um, what about the church? And I said, are you kidding me? I want nothing to do with anybody that's going to have any control over me. Not Joe, not the church, nothing. And he was just like, whoa. Uh, And then, you know, that was it. So, of course, Sunday rolls around and my daughter says, well, mother, (laughs) my words come back to bite me, by the way. (laughs) Since you're in our home, you will go to church with us. What? Yeah. And I said, well, I don't have anything to wear. And she's like, well, you can wear something of mine. And she's like five nine. She was very thin. She was probably anorexic too. Um, and you know, I'm five almost five three. <laughs> so yeah, I said, okay, I'll go to church. So I went to church with her. And in Idaho? No, this was in Utah. In Utah? Yeah, As soon as I went to church with her, the Spirit told me that that's where I need to be.
0: The Spirit told you that's where you needed to be?
1: Yeah. Yeah. How,
0: how did the Spirit tell you that? Was it like I collect or person to phone? person?
1: I had this warm, fuzzy feeling and felt like I needed to get back to church.
0: And that happened when you were at church? Yeah. Okay.
1: I think Fair it was enough. Testimony meeting. At all things.
0: <laughs> what? I couldn't quite understand you. You're laughing so hard. What did you say?
1: I'm sorry. Um, sorry. I, I think it was a fast and testimony meeting.
0: Well, that's where the spirit is the strongest.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody's crying because mm-hmm. the spirit so strong.
0: Because everybody's so happy.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Schadenfreude. But anyway, okay, so now you've got to get back to church, but there's, a, there's one slight problem. You're excommunicated.
1: Yeah, I'm excommunicated.
0: Did you partake of the sacrament at that meeting, by the way?
1: Uh, no, I never did.
0: Okay, good. Good. No, You're on the right track. When
1: I started back to church, I bought a dress that was a spaghetti strap dress. It was very short. It was very form-fitting. And it had a little jacket that went over it. And I, when I wore that to church and I went and talked to the bishop and told him my situation and that I, you know, I needed, I wanted to come back to the church. He, he looked at me like, you don't look like a polygamist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not the polygamist he knows.
1: I still have that little dress. It's like a size five. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, this is obviously going to be a big job for your bishop, and he's going to have to involve some other people. So, you want to get back into church? You want to get, obviously, rebaptized? Uh, yeah. Tell us about that process.
1: Well, it didn't really happen there because um, then I moved, and then I, I, anyway, I had to talk to, you know, several different bishops. Um, several different um, stake presidents.
0: When you say several different bishops is that because you're moving from place to place?
1: Right and then one got uh, released and called again and uh, right, that type of thing um, and so <clears throat> so um, and the first stake president that I met with I wore of course I came from work and I had a suit on, I had a blazer and slacks and a nice blouse and everything. And so we, I, hadn't,
0: we hadn't talked about this, it's, it's important, but I just do wanna to touch on it because you you uh, come from Mexico and you're now divorced and what kind of job did you get?
1: Well, I got a job in an office that um, the company hired inspectors all around the country to do draw inspections, which are when When a builder is building a house and he wants his money from the bank, then our inspectors would go out, make sure the work is done, make sure the materials are there that they're asking for, make sure it matches up with their budget, the amount that, so they're not getting too much. This was Mm in, you know, 2004. So.
0: Okay. So an inspector to make sure that the construction is completed. Right. Right. So the draw inspection is a bank draw.
1: Yes. Bank draw.
0: Got it. Okay. So you come yeah. to your bishop or state president from work. You're dressed in your, your business attire.
1: Yeah. Yes. Very business attire. Um, and he took one look at me and, um, read me the riot act about how I was dressed. And I so, thought, I
0: thought he was going to look at you and say, where's your short dress?
1: <laughs> this is a different, <laughs> this was much later.
0: I like the short dress better. <laughs> no, but but he's, 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 he's appalled at your dress, even though you're in, you're not in a short dress at this time, you're in uh business attire. You said slacks.
1: Slacks. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: And what did yeah. he say to you?
1: He said that he was representing the Lord and was dressed appropriately. And I should be,
0: well, you're not representing the Lord. I'm sorry. No, anyway, I'm going to try not to so, be flip here, but it's, it's very <laughs> difficult for me as you know,
1: well, of course, after that, I never ever met with anybody without having my Sunday best on.
0: It, which means a dress.
1: A dress. Mm-hmm.
0: He didn't yeah, like he your slacks is what it was. He didn't yes. like your slacks, right?
1: I guess not.
0: I mean, there was That's nothing. Good. Your shoulders weren't showing or anything.
1: No, I had a blazer on. I mean, it was, I yeah, you, couldn't go home and change. I mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you're like trying to make the appointment that I'm sure he set for you at the time he set or his executive secretary set for you. Right. And and all you, all you can do is criticize your your clothing.
2: Right.
1: And then um, he asked me, um, of course, we talked about that I couldn't pay tithing. And we talked about, uh, but I could pay fast offering and I could order church magazines. It was I doing that. And I was barely making ends meet living in a little teeny one bedroom apartment. So no, I wasn't doing those things. But I immediately, I don't think I paid fast offering, but I immediately ordered the church magazine. So I wanted to make sure I was, you know doing my part to buy myself into heaven.
0: Now, Sue, we, we talked about this before on the phone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my understanding is that he's not just saying you can pay fast offering and you can subscribe to the church magazines, but that basically he's finding out if you are subscribing to the church magazines, you said right. no. Right. Then he said you need to. Right. 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 He's saying you need to do this in order to show that you are going to be worthy, ultimately, when I say so, of being rebaptized. Yes. And the same thing with fast offering? Yeah. I have to ask you this question. I hear stories from time to time about people in your situation, minus the polygamy, who are told by church leaders that um, they can't pay tithing because they're not members right now, but that they should actually start an account and set aside a tenth of their income. So that they actually save their tithing up so that when they are rebaptized, they can pay it. Did, did you have that conversation?
1: No. Okay. We well, that's conversation.
0: That's good. Okay. But you got you gotta buy the church magazines and you did mm-hmm. and you got to pay your fast offerings and you did.
1: Yes. No, I didn't pay my fast offerings. I don't think at that time, you know, I told somebody that where I, they like, where do you have lunch? And I said, Oh, over at Costco. Oh, what do you order over there? And I said, whatever they got sampling, that's what I get.
0: Oh my Lord, Sue. I thought you were gonna say a hot dog or pizza.
1: No. No, not even that. No.
0: (laughs) You're walking up and down the aisles where the people have the little samples and you're just like snacking? Yeah. (laughs) That's your lunch.
1: That's my lunch. (laughs) Free. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's the kind of shoestring you're living on. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And the state president, wants you to buy church magazines yeah, and pay fast offerings. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's why it is. Even though you got the church magazine subscription, you weren't so good about paying the fast offerings because heck you're eating at Costco. I
2: didn't do
1: that. I should have come over after work and had my dinner too, but I didn't.
0: (laughs) Oh man. Well, go ahead and take us through uh, what happens after that because you're doing your best and you're trying to jump through all the hoops.
1: Yeah. Um, and then um well i mean i was in that state for for quite a while
0: how long's a while huh how long is quite a while
1: probably a year maybe
0: mm-hmm. that's usually about a year right
1: mhm
0: yeah everything it takes, takes a, year. a year okay
1: so so then i got to um meet with the 12 High counselors, or 15, or however many was in there. That was a whole room for barely enough room for us to all sit there. Right, it's the high
0: council of your stake. Yeah. And the stake presidency. Probably. Why do you have to meet with them?
1: Um, After, well, after I had to write, I guess I skipped a lot. I had to write letters to the first presidency and tell them everything I'd done wrong since I got excommunicated.
0: That was a long letter.
1: It was like 10 pages.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that letter is probably sitting in those archives about ready to ignite
0: of <laughs> the- <laughs> did you tell him about getting drunk at the party that your son had yeah. in california i told him everything okay well it was a complete confession and yeah. you, that your stake president says you've got to write this letter to this to the first presidency yeah and usually the way things go the state president says you write it you give it to me and i'll forward it on to them
1: that's they- yeah. Yeah, I had to give it to the bishop, then he gives it to the stake president. Everybody sees it. Um, and so then... Um,
0: they probably make copies and are handing them out in the parking lot to the church.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, got just, that first request got denied. What? Yeah.
0: The first letter that you sent up to the I, first fact, presidency got I, denied?
1: I think I might have sent three. Each time the, letter, the, the letters got shorter. The last one was like two sentences long. I've completed the... Uh, repentance process I've confessed to everything I would like to be rebaptized Thank you uh, The other ones were very very. Thank you so much for your time I'm so sorry I caused so much trouble To make people Spend hours over my um, You know have Trying to get rebaptized And you know that kind of thing
0: And the first two are rejected Yeah They come back with a red rubber stamp on them Rejected no.
1: The, the bishop just told me, no, you got to wait longer. Oh, my
0: gosh. Okay. Well, so you have to end up waiting a year.
1: Uh, by the time I finally got rebaptized, it was 2006.
0: Okay. So a couple years.
1: Yeah. I started in 2004.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I will tell you that, um, I don't know, maybe you're just writing too much and it was just too much for them to read. So they just said reject it. And if you finally do two sentences and they can actually comprehend what it is you're saying.
1: Well, what's irritating is, you know, I was turning people in for stuff they were doing up in Idaho in that area.
0: Sue, mm-hmm. Sue, you must tell us about this because this is your That's state president. I,
1: last one.
0: I don't think so. Okay. You know, we've talked on the phone a number of times in preparation for this.
1: Okay. Well, maybe yes. you
0: have, but this is back before you went to Mexico.
1: Um. No, this, no.
0: Because this you come back. back. Yeah. Right. And so now you're back in the United States from Mexico. You're trying to get back in the good graces of the church to get rebaptized. You're writing these lengthy letters to the first presidency and having all these meetings.
1: It was before that, when I was in the ward that I got excommunicated from. But this is after
0: Mexico, right?
1: Yes. Yes. And I was getting my, uh, yeah.
0: And part of showing that you are sincerely repentant for your polygamy is informing on any other polygamists that you know about to the bishop.
1: Yep. Anybody that was having any, any, in, any in activity or any conversations or anything like that. Um, and people got called in and they said that I was just an angry, bitter ex-wife. Um, and they said that, um, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Who said uh, this? The people that you informed on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And I really, really wasn't angry and bitter, which I wish I would have been because I think it might've helped my healing process a little bit more. Um, but the, um, I mean the one that tried to have my daughter, uh, you know, his wife had the dream about my 15 year old daughter being his, yes. next, his second wife. We actually had to be in the same room together with the Bishop and he admitted to that. And he said, um, that he was wrong. Um, and nothing ever happened Not to him. I mean, nothing ever
0: happened to him, even though, okay, I just want to structure this because I think everybody understands that you're going to your bishop in Idaho. You're trying to get rebaptized and asking what you need to do in order to do that. You have to repent. You have to get church magazines. You have to do this. You have to do something else. And one thing you have to do is you have to inform on anybody else that you know of who's practicing polygamy.
1: Yeah.
0: And you did that
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you yeah. want to get back in the good graces of the church. And this is the only way for you to do that.
2: That's right.
0: And one of the people you informed on was the guy who said his wife had a dream and then came to your second to oldest, second to youngest daughter and said that she was supposed to join their family and marry him. Right. And so the bishop then calls in this guy because of your report on him and he admits to it, says he did it, uh, but it was wrong and he apologizes or whatever. And nothing ever happens to him? No. No church discipline? Nope. How do you know that?
1: Um, because I was there. I mean, and I have friends that are in the same ward, but yeah. he did become inactive. I mean,
0: he became inactive.
1: Yeah. But I mean, they were, they were had callings and everything.
0: I see. Okay. Okay. Well, after you'd squealed on everybody that you could Sue. Yeah. <laughs> then, um, take us back now because now you're in front. This is, I know we're jumping ahead in time, but back to where we were in your narrative in front of the high council. Oh, that was horrible. What, why, what is the point of this? By the way, you've also written the three letters up to the, um, the first presidency in ever decreasing length. It finally gets accepted, but you have to go in front of the high council in your stake. Why?
1: Well, I, because while we were excommunicated from a high council, it, it was my husband, my ex-husband was a high priest, so it didn't go through the bishop, it went through the stake at that time.
0: So you're excommunicated through a high council and now what you have to have your membership restored through a high council.
1: I guess. I mean, I, I don't really remember anything about that meeting. I think I probably told them a few things, but I can't imagine we were there that long. Um, it doesn't, I don't remember being there that long. Um, and then they had to make a decision whether, uh, whether, why were they making a decision? I don't know why we did that. I really don't.
0: Okay. Cause you would think of the first presidency says accepted on the third go, that would sort of take care of everything.
1: And maybe that, maybe it was that we met to get the letter to go there. I don't know. I, I don't remember that
0: whole sequence of events. All right. Was this right before? That's okay. Was this right before you were rebaptized?
1: Um, it was a while before because then I moved, <laughs> I moved again.
0: I think maybe your moving has something to do with why it took a while, maybe longer than it would have otherwise.
1: Maybe. maybe. And then I had to go to the stake president there. And um, yeah. So then, then I had to wait to get my temple blessings restored.
0: So did you get rebaptized?
1: I got rebaptized. Yes.
0: Who baptized you?
1: Well, a, um,
0: a friend, (laughs) a fiance. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: Okay. And I think,
1: listen to this. What? Fiance baptizing means he has to have a temple recommend. Is that correct?
0: No. Oh,
1: well, I mean, he needs to be.
0: uh, He just has to be a priest in the Aaronic Priesthood.
1: Okay. Well, does he need to be a good boy?
0: Well, it's preferred.
1: Well, so I got a phone call from. um, Joe? uh, No, I got a phone call from um, this woman one time at midnight telling me that her, that my fiance and her were sleeping together.
0: So before your baptism,
1: um, this was after,
0: okay. Okay. Wow. By the way, this is, I know you're currently married, but there was another individual in between for a short period of time.
1: Yes, there was.
0: And that's who we're talking about. Is this other individual for a short period of time?
1: No, this was a different one that I was engaged. I've been engaged a few times.
0: Okay. But married three.
1: Yes, I don't know if I'd call the second one a marriage. Really, we were. Okay. I mean, I kicked him out after three months. My oldest daughter encouraged me to.
0: <laughs> your oldest daughter's pretty smart, I think.
1: And she's like, "Mom, are you happy?" And I'm like, "Well," and she says, "Look, you were unhappy for thirty years in the first marriage." She says, "You want to spend the rest of your life, which isn't that much more long, you know, longer. Uh, you want to spend the rest of it unhappy?" And I said. No. And so, so then I kicked him out. He was, and then I found out he was illegal.
0: The second husband.
1: Yeah. He was, he was from
2: Chihuahua.
0: (laughs) Well, Joe is down in Mexico marrying girls from up in Idaho and you're up here in the States, marrying guys from down in Chihuahua.
1: Yeah. He was getting a paycheck. So I thought he was legal when it came time to do our taxes He's like, "Oh no, you can't use that number. That's not really my number, and I'm not legal."
0: <laughs> oh no.
1: Oh, so anyway, uh, yeah, so that happened.
0: But you're rebaptized by a guy who's your fiance who's stepping mm-hmm. out on you, and when you find yeah. out about it after he baptizes you, you give him the whole heat, the the old heave ho.
1: Not at first.
0: Oh, Sue, so really? Yeah.
1: At first, he, well, he's like, well, you know, if we were married, this wouldn't be happening and blah, blah, blah.
0: And so. If we um, were married, I wouldn't be stepping out on you? Yeah. <laughs> Man, where do these guys come up with these arguments? Did you believe that?
1: I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. And I thought, so, of course, thank goodness I had told my girls about it. And they're like, well, kick him to the curb, you know? And and then I'm thinking, well, maybe, I mean, he's sorry and maybe
0: Oh my but, gosh. You
1: know, if I would have you know, get forgiven him and married him, my girls would never <laughs> they would never accept that.
0: Good. I'm glad they're <laughs> keeping you honest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this, this person needs like a hit over the head with the red flags. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so Sue, Sue, I, have we covered the story sufficiently about your getting back into the church?
1: Um, no, no, we haven't
0: actually, because you were talking about getting your temple blessings restored by which yeah. I guess we have to mean uh, your endowment. Yes. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Because that's a separate procedure after you're rebaptized, that right? Is.
1: And I didn't, that didn't happen until 2010. And I was married. I I was married. It was during the time I was married to that um, illegal guy. And he said, well, you know why you're finally getting your temple blessings restored. It's because you're, you're married now to a priesthood holder. And um, this priesthood holder shouldn't even be a member of the church. He's, he was abusive. And anyway, um, that being your second husband. Yes, the second husband.
0: I keep wanting to emphasize that just in case anybody happens to recognize you or know you as a couple people have and they know who your current husband is. We're not talking about your current husband.
1: No, no, not even. He is different as night and day between okay. anybody.
0: <laughs> okay, but go ahead and tell us now, now you, you're rebaptized. You want to get your temple blessings back. Right, right. How do you and go about that?
1: All of a sudden when I got married, then they, then that was time now.
0: So, okay. So what happened,
1: happens? 2010. Um, so I get called into uh, Kenneth Johnson's office and at the church, whatever it is. And, um, he tells me that, well, he, you know, we kind of went over a little bit of the story, not much, but he, um, And let me tell you, this whole time, you know, I've missed out on a couple things. This whole time that I'm, again, red flags, but this whole time they're asking me, when was the last time you had contact with your first husband? Um, When I got rebaptized, they had to call my first husband to discuss it with him. Um, Though he's a polygamist and excommunicated. And they know what exactly would happen in the divorce. He's lied about things and I didn't get anything you know, so to speak compared to my half. Um, and he, um, where was I going with that? Oh, so yeah. When was the last time you had a conversation with your, your ex-husband? Um, and then, so that was, and then they call him about that. Then when I wanted my, to get my temple blessings restored, they had to
0: call him about that. So in order for you to get your temple blessings restored, they have to call. You
1: know what? They didn't they didn't call him then. I don't think was when I got sealed to my husband. I I'm, I'm married to
0: Neil. I know this is standard church practice, but in the situation it just seems rather odd that you have that the church has the church has to call your your polygamist ex-husband who is excommunicated for polygamy and whom you ran away from. They have to call him and it's basically get his okay or at least notify him and right. give him the chance to give permission and authorization know. to have your sealing to him canceled. Yeah.
1: I felt it was disrespectful to me, but again, it's a test. Don't go there.
0: Yes. (laughs) And once again, I'm I'm trying to think this through my head as we're talking about it. And it just seems very, very odd because your temple ceiling with him had already been canceled when you were excommunicated along with him.
1: No, no. Yes. Well, I even no because I tried to get, I tried to get it canceled um, when I was going through my whole, uh, baptismal process and everything and they said no you can't because the kids, something about the kids and the ceiling um thing
0: you can't okay just- we're getting into the labyrinth of church policy as it relates to plural marriage or excuse me as it relates to temple marriage right and i don't pretend to know it all and it's an ever-changing field, from what i understand but it just seems remarkable to me that you and joe get excommunicated because of the polygamy your temple blessings get yanked because that's why they have to be restored. But among those temple blessings that don't get yanked is your ceiling in the temple. Apparently. Well, maybe what they're thinking is your ceiling to Joe is gone, but there's still a ceiling to the kids. And no, this is very, this is very confusing. (laughs) This is very, very, very confusing. By the way, a thought did occur to me, and I'm just going to put this in here about that prosecutor who told you that you could be prosecuted. And I said, no, that's not true. Right. Right. But wait a second. If as apparently is the case, it is common practice for polygamists to have their wives go to these young girls to ask them to marry the husband. Oh, maybe now they're doing more than just being merely present. They're actually part of the, the plan they're encouraging. They're soliciting. They are an accomplice. Yeah. And if it's an underage girl, then they are an accomplice to whatever violation of the law applies, like mm-hmm. rape of a child.
1: Right. Now, I don't know. Did we discuss about her being married before?
0: Yes. Sylvia? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, to the the old guy who was like 60, but apparently they never actually consummated the marriage. He just played right. with her.
1: Apparently. I mean, that's what I'm guessing.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: going <laughs> we'll go into details on that. But. but
0: that's what she told you, right?
1: Um, that's what Joe told me.
0: Ah, okay. Okay. Well, anyway, so yes. But I, that thought had occurred to me, no, and it's no, very. He
1: thought she had sex with her. He thought that thing grew back, and that's why she. Oh
0: right, 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 right. <laughs> that thing some people call the hymen. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: it's an adult show. <laughs> it's okay. I keep
1: bleeding when they when they had sex, and he says it's because she hasn't had sex for so long. So, I'm, whatever. Whatever. I mean, Nothing was a secret around
0: here. Apparently not. Um, all right, but it does strike me, and we'll get back to your uh, restoration of your blessings. Um, that I had always thought that if the husband has the wife go to the girl, then what he's trying to do is sort of insulate himself from it, and maybe up his odds and make it look less horny to yeah. have the wife going to the the, the other girl or other woman. Yeah and petitioning her to marry the husband. But it also strikes me that there's a legal aspect to this. I don't know if it's intentional, but it also puts the first wife right in the middle of things and puts them as an accomplice. If this girl is under age, that they're asking to marry the husband.
1: Well, that's, that's an interesting concept. And I, um, I'm not sure if he did that on purpose. Um, I know that, uh, with our kids, I had to put on a happy face about it and uh, be supportive. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't, I was, you know, in trouble. Right. I was supposed to be supportive and yeah.
0: But now we're on to, we're on to happier days now and you've been rebaptized. You're going to get your temple blessings back and you keep encountering like these sort of stumbling blocks that you characterize as tests. Yeah. And what do you mean by tests?
1: Well, just it, it feels, doesn't feel good it but, feels like
0: a slap in the face
1: yeah it does and you know the stake president the the whole th- everything i just thought you know just leave it alone you don't understand it i'll i'll learn about it later put it on that shelf
0: <laughs> and what was the first test in this regard
1: uh well when he the, the first stake president told me you know asked me about by getting the church magazine and and paying fast offerings.
0: Why was that like a slap in the face or a test to you? A test
1: because it didn't feel right. It felt like I was buying my way into heaven or something. Okay. But you know, the first second I had that thought, it was like, get rid of that. It's a test. This is not, you know, this is, this is not good. So don't think about that. Bad Just Susan, bad thought. <laughs> Just go on and do what you're told.
0: Right. So, I mean, you escaped from one system of control and now you're lining up exactly. to join, to rejoin another system.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, okay. So that maybe that's why it's a test. What was the second test?
1: The second test? Well, the second major test. Um, what do you mean? Which, in, as far as which goes?
0: <laughs> as as far as, okay. So you're trying to get back in the church. Well, you're I mean, trying I mean, to get the, um, your temple blessings restored and you keep having these, um, roadblocks or yeah. tasks that you're assigned that you have to do I or mean, the way that they're done.
1: Of my, my ex-husband, that was a test. I thought that was pretty bizarre. Um, so I don't, I mean, I, I didn't think it was right. I mean, maybe in some instances it is
0: <laughs> about them contacting Joe. Yeah. About getting married the second time.
1: Well, Uh, No, because he didn't, he didn't, we didn't get sealed in the temple the second
0: time. Only for a ceiling, right?
1: Yeah, only for a ceiling. So, so then, so I get my temple blessings restored. Kenneth Johnson tells me everything's going to go back the way it is.
0: Who's Kenneth Johnson?
1: The 70 that uh, restored my
0: blessings. How does that happen?
1: Well, you just sit there and have a little meeting and then he determines whether you're ready to have your temple blessings restored and then He comes around and puts his hands on your head and says some words and that's it.
0: Okay. So there's actually an ordinance of sorts that's performed. Like we're, we're familiar as Mormons with laying hands on head for blessings or for uh, bestowing the gift of the Holy ghost. But he, as a general authority, 70 Kenneth Johnson. Right. Puts his hands on your head and then restores your temple blessings to you through that ordinance. Mm -hmm. Okay, Great. And what did he tell you would happen as a result of that restoration?
1: That everything would be, there would be no record of my second baptism. There'd be no record of the, um, the, uh, re, uh, getting my temple blessings restored. There'd be no record of any of that. It would, everything would go back to its original form. Um, as if nothing ever happened.
0: So it'd be like you were baptized when you were 18 and nothing ever happened in between. Right. And it would be like you went through the temple whenever it was the first time you went through the temple, which wasn't too long after that. And uh, it wouldn't show anything else. Right. It wouldn't show any excommunication and then getting it restored and rebaptized.
1: No. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like Doctrine and covenant says about God, when you repent, I, the Lord God, remember your sins no more. Right. And neither does the church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you found out that wasn't exactly
1: true. No. No, because then of course, um, I got divorced from that illegal guy. Um, and I did that all online and I got some money out of it. Not much, but I mean, um, he did live for free and not contribute a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was under a thousand dollars. Um, anyway, uh, so then I'm available again. And, um, so my third husband let's just call him my second husband. (laughs) Let's pretend like the the second one didn't really happen.
0: Okay. We will remember your second husband. No more.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, So he, uh, (laughs) he and his wife, I knew them years and years ago. Uh, He was actually, he worked in the branch presidency with my first husband. Um, Our kids were like the same ages until he kept having more when we were done. Um, he has nine and I have five and um, he and his wife uh, and then he was our branch president um, and he and his wife had moved away about the same same time we moved away the same year and um, so Uh, They would come up and bring their kids to the MTC and I was living in Utah and they would come and visit me and take me out to dinner, you know, and um, so um, she couldn't, she, she got a brain tumor um, and passed away pretty quickly within a few months. Um, And he, a couple weeks later, I got an email from him. And he wanted, he says, I can't find your phone number anywhere. I wanted to come up and visit with you and say hi. And so I told my daughter, my oldest daughter, and she's like, oh, isn't it a little soon after his wife died? And I said, he's just friends. We've been friends for years, you know?
0: How soon was it? Huh? How soon was it?
1: A couple of weeks. <gasps> after she died. And when, before she died, I went down to see her. And, um, he told me that he'd had some spiritual experiences he'd discussed with me later. And, and, um, then I left and I, I didn't go to the funeral. I was work, I had a new job and so I, I couldn't get away. And, um, yeah, a couple weeks later and I let that, I didn't contact him for a week because I thought, gosh, what does he want? You know? And so I finally gave him my phone number and he wanted to come up and see me and,
0: you should be a little bit leery about people's dreams by now, aren't you?
1: <laughs> well, anyway, so, um, so he came to see me and I had just gotten home from work. I was going to go change. And um, my daughter came by and she says, Oh, I had babies, baby set for her the night before. Did, she says, did I leave my book here? <laughs> I think it was a plan that She wanted to be there when he was there. I think so. Um, And I said, you just dropped the kids off and then picked them up. He didn't stay. No, your book isn't here. And so then I went to get changed. And she, um, she, I guess at that point, he asked her if he could date me. And she said, isn't it a bit soon?
0: Wait a second. This guy, I mean, how old is he at this Uh, point?
1: Let's see, 58.
0: And he's asking your daughter if he can date you? Yeah. Okay.
1: Actually, I... Yeah, he did.
0: Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> she just said, isn't it a bit soon? And he says, N- not really. You know, so um, and come to find out he and his wife had discussed um, after she died that because she was lucid the whole time, you know, and um, she just told him, you know, you need to be married. You can't be single. And I'm OK with you you know, remarrying. And she talked to all our kids and everything. And, um, so anyway, um, I had no idea. I mean, and then, you know, he kind of asked me, don't you, you know, don't you feel like we're supposed to, and I'm like, no, I didn't get that feeling at all.
0: So shot down again
1: (laughs) after a couple months, of course, by this time I was very outspoken and very, um, you know, uh, Didn't, I I say, I say what's on my mind.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Anyway, so he, um, after a couple months he proposed and then we had to go through the process of um, getting my temple ceiling canceled because he didn't have to.
0: Um, No, he doesn't. He was married in the temple to his wife who is now deceased.
2: Yeah. But he doesn't have
0: to get his temple ceiling canceled because he can have two wives.
1: Yes, or three.
0: (laughs) So this is just so, it's ironic. You coming out of your situation, breaking away from polygamy in order to eventually end up in another polygamous marriage.
1: Oh, and I, of course, um, I agree that, yes, we will be together and we'll we'll have, that'll be my sister wife in the attorney. So Yeah. But you have,
0: but you can't do that because you're a woman. In other words, you have to get your temple marriage to Joe. The polygamist canceled. Yes. Tell us about that.
1: Well, they had to call him.
0: Who's and of they? course, they asked the him church. The you mean the church uh, state president?
1: Well, it was the, the the bishop at that point.
0: The bishop has to call Joe. Yeah. Why?
1: To let him know that I'm going to get um, my ceiling canceled. So.
0: This is a guy that you have had a no contact order with, a protection order with. Yeah who dragged you kicking and screaming. Well, you know, you went of your own volition. You were smuggling guns at the time down to Mexico to live for two years in polygamy. You escape finally. And then you get up here, you are working your way back into the good graces of the church. You get rebaptized. You have to go through all the stuff and all the letters right to the first presidency. You have to appear in front of the high council for God knows why. And now you're, got, you're getting married again to this guy who's actually a good guy in the eyes of the church. And I'm sure he's a great guy.
2: He is and a great, good
0: guy. yeah. And now you need to get your, because the church is this way, you have to get your temple sealing, temple marriage to Joe canceled, even though you already divorced civilly through this trial that went on in Idaho. And now the bishop says, oh, well, I've got to call Joe and let him know. Yeah. How did you feel about that?
1: I was upset about it. I mean, I was very polite and I just said, I don't understand why. And he said, well, that's just the policy we have to. So I said, well, he's a polygamist and he's excommunicated. He says, well, that doesn't matter.
0: We still have to call him.
1: Yeah, still have to call him. And um, so um, I did have his phone number because I had happened to be at my son's house when he called and I almost answered the phone. And then my daughter-in-law came in and she goes, oh, I'll get it. And um, so I looked later at the number because when she answered, it, obviously it was <laughs> my ex-husband. Yeah. And so I wrote the number down. I saved it on my phone, um, and I thought it. I put this is what I, <laughs> the name for him. I put Ick because I didn't want anybody to know I had his phone number.
0: Oh, I thought you should write and do not answer.
1: <laughs> I put Ick. And then his phone number under my contacts.
0: I've got to tell you, there's actually this prosecutor that I think I'm on a good relationship with, but I had gotten her cell phone number just because we're working on the case in case we need to talk after hours, right? And I can't get through to her at the prosecutor's office a number of years ago. And anyway, I somehow got her cell phone number and I found out through the grapevine that what she did was she put on it, instead of my name, she puts, do not answer.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious.
0: Yeah. So whenever I would call her, it'd come up, do not answer. Yeah. Okay. But you put ick.
1: <laughs> I put ick.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: That's the only thing I could think of at the time. <laughs> um, anyway, so now where was I?
0: <laughs> ick. You're at the thing where the bishop now has to call oh. Joe and tell him that you're going to get a temple divorce from him because you're going to marry yeah. somebody who's worthy. And so
1: I thought, I thought, well, you know, he, he's going to ask. So it was good that I had it because then I could give him the number. But I said, this is what he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you that the church doesn't have the authority to um, cancel our ceiling. So, um, you know, so he called him and um, it took a while. He got back to me and told me that it was, you know, my ex-husband said exactly what I said that he would say. And um, so, yeah. So that happened.
0: Can I ask you something? What? I mean, it seems a little logically inconsistent to me, which is if Joe's position is that the church doesn't have authority to cancel our ceiling, wasn't it the church that sealed you in the first place?
1: Yeah, but we did it. We did it again. Yeah, oh,
0: right. tell. No, I don't think you told us about that. You told us about his marriage to Sylvia.
1: I'm, I'm, yeah, we did.
0: <laughs> you got, Wait a second. Okay. So you had a real ceiling in yeah. Idaho. Mm hmm. Was that out in the backyard too? Uh,
1: that was in those, in Sylvia's parents' house.
0: In Sylvia's parents' house, you and Joe got resealed. Yeah. Tell us about that ceremony.
1: I don't remember. Did it involve honestly. an altar? Um, uh, I don't remember.
0: Did, okay.
2: Don't
0: remember. Really? Okay. So, so what he's saying is that uh, the church's original ceiling doesn't matter and so what he's saying to the church bishop when he calls is that you don't have the authority to undo the ceiling that we got in Sylvia's parents' house.
1: Yeah, because, um, and of course I didn't tell the bishop about that. <laughs> 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 I'm not saying a thing about that.
0: <laughs> this is not as complete a confession as I was thinking. Did you tell the first presidency about this?
1: No. Nope. Oh, I may have. I, I think I told them that I, we bought, um, that we made our own garments and everything like that. And I told them all about, I told them everything. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm starting to see why it took so long. <laughs> it may have taken him two years just to read the letter.
1: <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> they probably went, wow, this is crazy.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Hey, and I'm going to take you through this, but I just want to tell you the story. I've told you this before, but way back when, back in the 1990s, and I can't remember exactly when it was, it was when Joe was heavily in the throes of this polygamy passion of his. And he called me up on the phone and we're talking and I know that he's doing this polygamy thing and he's wanting to convince me that polygamy is right he's not being super uh, heavy handed about it, but boy, he wants to tell me all about this history and about all these people and woolly this, and this person has the authority and describing this line of authority that comes out of the, out of the church. You know, they can, the line of authority is very important to them, just like it is to Mormons, but they, it diverges at Wilford Woodruff and now it goes off and John Taylor and goes off into this other strand of people who have this authority. And, you know, you don't have to go to the temple to do these ordinances because a a guy can do the ordinances at his home, as long as he has a priest. And blah, 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 blah. And he's going on and on and on. And honestly, my eyes are crossing, but I'm trying to give him enough time to express himself because I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to get done so I can ask him the question that has been percolating in my head since about an hour into this discussion. One sided discussion, I should say. And he's going on and on. Finally, he gets to the end. I said, Well, you know, it's very interesting. Very interesting what you have to say there, Joe. I said, um, You know Bruce R. McConkey, don't you? And he goes, yeah. And I said, boy, I tell you, I think Bruce R. McConkie, he probably knew the scriptures better than anybody in the history of the church, <laughs> you know, and everybody understands that about Bruce R. McConkie. There's actually mythology. I think it's mythology that has uh, arisen around him. And the idea that you could uh, name one scripture in any of the standard works and then he could quote the scripture immediately before in the verse right after. Right. Which right. is all nonsense. But he certainly did know a lot about the script, wrote all these books, right? So he knows them backward and forward. And every, I figured Joe's going to have to agree to that. He does. And so he says, oh, yeah, he did. And I said, but, you know, in spite of that, I just, I think there were still some things that Bruce H. McConkie got wrong related to doctrine. And I knew Joe was going to agree with that. And he goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. He did. He got, He definitely got things wrong. And I said, well, here's what I'm thinking. If Bruiser McConkie could know the scriptures better than pretty much anybody in the church, better than you or I, and yet he got some things wrong in doctrine, isn't it just possible that maybe you're wrong about this, Joe?
1: <laughs> and what do he say?
0: There was a pause of about two seconds. It was a rich two seconds, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Because all of a sudden, it was like he got hit upside the head with a frying pan. And that's what I was trying to do. You know, I know I'm not going to convince him of anything, but I want him to at least go, hey, you know, I could be wrong about this. But no, immediately after that two seconds, he just jumps back in. Well, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. You know, wooly this and John Taylor that line of authority this. Okay. Well, there was two seconds of almost sanity on his part. I just wanted you to know I was in there swinging for you. So. Thanks. Okay. So that's my story with Joe. Anyway, so let's go back. And now you're getting all these tests. And this is another test because the bishop has to t- talk to Joe because you're going to get married to your current husband. Yes. And so he talks to Joe. Joe tells him what Joe tells the bishop, what you told the bishop. Joe was going to tell the bishop. Uh, but he had to do it because it's church policy. And yeah. so now you go on and now you get married in the temple. Yes. Okay. Now, what about your your blessings being restored, and there being no record of it, as you were promised by that 70.
1: Well, after we'd been married for a few weeks, um, and I was in my husband's ward now as his wife, um, the bishop uh, called us in, he was a friend of my husband, they were pretty close. And he said, "Uh, Did you know that there was an annotation on your record? And I said, What's that? neither one of us had heard what it was and the bishop didn't know what it was, but he said, it's just for bishops. Bishops can see that. And he says it we're, you know, advised to call salt Lake. So he called salt Lake and got the whole, you know, the whole story of, um, of what happened. So, um,
0: how did you feel about this?
1: I was, I was pretty angry. Of course. Oh, it's a test. (laughs) This is a test.
0: Right. It's all a test. Every time the church screws us over, it's a test. But why was why was it that you were angry?
1: Well, I mean, because I was told that everything would be as if nothing happened. And that obviously was not the case. And I told my husband, I'm going to write to Kenneth Johnson. And I'm going to write to Jeffrey R. Holland, who I had to speak with before I got baptized.
0: Hold on. Hold on. Stop the presses. <laughs> Sue! What? I guess I can understand why Joseph Smith did not mention seeing God, the father and Jesus Christ in his first account of the first vision in 1832, because you've gone all the way through this. You mentioned Kenneth Johnson, but you failed to mention Jeffrey Holland.
1: Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, I had to meet with Jeffrey R. Holland.
0: Okay. Tell us, please
1: cold.
0: dish dish
1: cold, um, disengaged, um, Jeffrey a- Holland. Yeah.
0: He's one of the most avuncular apostles.
1: Yeah. And then I couldn't watch him on, I couldn't watch him on conference after that because actually, um, probably it was after I found out about the, um, annotation.
0: But tell us about your meeting with Jeffrey Holland. Is that the the church office building? Yes. And you have to go talk to him because you want to get rebaptized?
1: Yeah. And I was sitting out there in the, whatever it was, this room was waiting room and who comes out of the door, but it's Faust. Faust. (laughs) He asked me if I can, he can help me with something. And I said, no, I'm just waiting for for not the
0: fictional Faust by Goethe, but we're talking about president Faust of the LDS church. Yeah. (laughs) So he comes out and, and what happens?
1: He just says, can he help? Can I help you? Cause I'm that's nice.
0: <laughs> that's nice. I like that.
1: Yeah, and I just said, no, I'm waiting to talk to Jeffrey or Holland, to elder Holland. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So um, then uh, he calls you in or secretary calls you in.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. And you go in and you're in Jeffrey Holland's office. Yeah. What's that like?
1: Well, um, I mean, I, I didn't feel any love. I didn't feel any warmth from him. I didn't feel any compassion. I didn't feel, felt like it was business as usual. It was, didn't I tell you, did I tell you about that?
0: You did, did you on the phone, but not on the show. <laughs> okay. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, he was cold and, and like distracted. I don't know. He didn't, it was just a meeting. He was just asking me questions. When was the last time you heard from your, you had contact with your, husband and oh, he did ask me if um, I knew this lady, I won't say her name. And I said, yeah, that's my, my ex-husband's grandmother. And he said, oh, she used to be my secretary when I was <laughs> over at BYU. Yeah.
0: So what, what did you understand the purpose of your meeting with Elder Holland to be?
1: Just part of the policy, part of the procedure.
0: And did you have to, what, make a confession to him as well?
1: Um, Our meeting was not very long. Um, I had to just disavow um, polygamy. And um, I said, I never believed it anyway. Um, I never wanted to do it and cried every day. And didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. and he didn't, very cold.
0: What year was this?
1: That was, well, it was in 2006. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I was thinking maybe he was distracted because he was thinking about an upcoming interview he had with the BBC reporter.
1: (laughs) Or he just had it and was disturbed by it.
0: (laughs) But I think it was in 2012 or closer to that 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 happened. But it is interesting uh, putting your interview with him because I'm sure you're not the only person he deals with. Right, who's yeah. in that situation? He's coming to he him to
2: there
1: all day long over these stupid interviews? You know, and here I am wasting. That's how I felt: is I was wasting his time.
0: Mm, that's the um, feeling he gave you.
1: Um, no, he didn't give me that feeling. I just felt like that. You know, I, you know, did something really stupid, and now all these people have to spend their time trying to get me rebaptized.
0: Right, and I'm talking about your interview with him being uh, not the only polygamist interview. Oh,
1: probably not.
0: Because remember in that BBC interview, remember he gets very exercised and he says the strengthening church members committee is there to protect the church against the predatory practices of polygamists. And
1: yeah. he gets very upset. Yeah. And I mean, I told him I changed my last name to distance myself further. I try. I mean, I felt like I was trying to convince him that I was, a po- you know, I couldn't stand polygamy. Never wanted to do it. Never believed it. Um, and, you know, yeah, that's that. what,
0: so this is what you have to do. You have to convince uh, an, an apostle, apparently, that you really, 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 really mean it when you say that you don't want to be a polygamist anymore and that you you renounce the entire practice.
1: Yeah. And then when when that annotation shows up, I hear about that, then I'm thinking, well, obviously nobody believed me. Yeah. They must think you know, I need to be watched or whatever. My husband said, oh, they just think you need an extra hand, you know, because you've been through so much.
0: Oh, sure. They're just there to help you. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: They're there to keep eyes on you. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, okay, I've got to say on behalf of the church that they're in a difficult position because not only do they have a history of polygamy, but they've totally renounced it. If you are a polygamist, you get excommunicated, as you know. and there is a subcurrent in the church where they have polygamists who are presenting themselves as faithful Mormons, right? Joe did that. You did that, right? Um, when you're teaching the young women and looking for likely prospects.
1: The no, the uh, young single adults. Okay. I wasn't looking at it that way, but um, there was, but Joe was. yeah, the, the couple that that had been members got excommunicated for polygamy and then came back after the second wife died um, they said that they had spoken with, um, what's the, what was the, oh, what's his name? Pa- Packer. I think it was Packer that they had sp- had to speak with and that he said, well, it's okay if you believe it, but just don't let anybody know it. Cause you know, I mean, but what I discovered is polygamists usually lie anyway. Um,
0: All to- right. And that's. And that's what I'm thinking. See, this is what puts the leaders of the church in a difficult bind because there there are polygamists in the church that present themselves as regular Mormons when they're practicing yeah. polygamy and using the membership of the church as uh, the field is wide already to harvest and trying to recruit people to polygamy. Right. So I'm sure that they feel the need to be especially careful. Yeah. With people in your situation who are trying to come back into the church, having practiced polygamy and been excommunicated for it to make sure that you're not going to just keep doing the same old thing. Yeah. Okay. So I've tried to be charitable there.
1: But I mean, I I left, I divorced him. Yeah. Obviously I don't want to live that. Right. I mean, I left with a suitcase of clothes. Right.
0: Right. And it may be that Elder Holland seemed cold and aloof, mainly because it was like, okay, let's get this over with, because this person obviously, you know, (laughs) yeah, Sue obviously is not going to be a threat. She's been through hell. And now we're going to we'll get her back in the church. But now the first bishop was aware of the um, what's it called on your record?
1: annotation.
0: Thank you. An annotation. I knew it started with an A. An annotation on your record. He calls Salt Lake. He finds out the whole story. He tells you he knows the whole story. You're going, great, thanks. This is another test. But he wasn't the only one, right?
1: Right. We moved, and then the next bishop knows about it.
0: How do you find out about that?
1: Well, I mean, there's an annotation on my record. (laughs) Did he tell you? We went in and talked to him about it, and he says, yes, I know about that, and I've called Salt Lake about that already.
0: This is like the Scarlet... Letter P. Yes, that you have to wear for the rest of your life.
1: That's what I told my husband. It never. I said this is never going to go away. Ever. I said here. I went through that whole damn. Excuse me. Um, pro- repentance process that they preach over the pulpit at conference, and it's not like it. Like they say, it's just not. I don't care if it's church policy. Oh, ignore church policy, and um, it's you know the Lord has forgiven you. Whatever I. I don't agree with that.
0: When you say you don't agree with it, you mean that you don't agree that they actually practice what they preach. They do remember. And you had a general authority telling you it would all be gone and be like it never happened.
1: That's right. And then I wanted, I mean, I kept wanting to write letters and then he finally gets released and I'm like, well, that's great. (laughs) You
0: never got around to it. Whatever. (laughs) But this is another test. It sounds like um, the tests are getting increasingly difficult for you to endure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then another bishop, that bishop got released. He didn't do anything about it. I guess I found out you could get it removed, Um, but we didn't know the first thing about it. And that bishop didn't really do anything about it. Well, the next bishop gets called. And the very next day, he calls me up and says, I am so sorry. I have called Salt Lake about this annotation on your record. And I know what's, you know, the whole thing. And he says, You shouldn't have that on there. And so he says, I'm going to ask the state president, because that's who has to do it, um, to start the process to get that removed. So after a few months, I didn't hear anything. And um, so I contacted him and he said, you know, by email, because I didn't really want to talk to him in the hallway at church about it. And he said, oh, I thought the state president would have told you, he says, it has to go through church legal affairs and it's going to take 18 months to two years. And I, that, I mean, that really upset me. Um, I was inactive for like three weeks. <laughs> that was right. it.
0: So in other words, in order for this, this, uh, I keep thinking asterisk asterisk, but it's a, uh, what's it Annotation. called? Annotation. <laughs> I keep going in my head. <laughs> asterisk practice, anachronism.
2: Apostasy.
0: <laughs> no it's an annotation
2: yeah
0: okay it has to now go in order to be removed it has to go through church legal affairs
2: yes did yeah. he
0: say why? he has no idea why he just knows that that's the case that's and he's the telling you, <laughs> that's the policy from 18 months to 24 months it's going to take to go through yeah church legal and i
1: was in the relief society presidency at that time
0: well you know in the lds church all roads lead to the lawyers.
1: That's right. (laughs) It's a corporate thing. It's a business. They need to be protected by lawyers.
0: Well, yeah. And I understand, you know, I think everybody kind of understands that the church has property and certainly chapels and temples and I guess, what is it? A 10th of Florida or whatever it is. I can't
1: remember. Over a hundred billion. Yeah, they
0: can, yes. And, and now we're getting into the excess part, but yeah, I agree with you. But they have they certainly have they their land transactions. There's all sorts of stuff that, yeah, you understand you need lawyers for, and they have enough going on where they need a team. Yeah. And
1: what am I going to do? I'm going to sue them for something? I
0: Well, I don't know. And see, and this I'm is the part that... <laughs> yeah, this is the part that I have trouble understanding in my own head is I can understand having lawyers for legal things, right? That makes sense. But how does that translate to getting an annotation removed from your name on the membership records?
1: I don't know. I have no idea. Nobody knows. Nobody, the state president had never heard of it. anybody I ever talked to at that point in their co- church career. They'd never heard of it.
0: Especially when you've gone all the way to the top, including Jeffrey Holland yeah. to get forgiven of this, to be mm-hmm. be okayed. And you would think that would be more than enough. You'd think, and yet there's a the shadow government over here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I was honest with him. Couldn't he tell? Doesn't he have the spirit?
0: The yes, person? he does. I'll answer for him. <laughs> yes, he does. And so, um, he may not. He may not. <laughs> the spirit may tell him to go down the wrong road from time to time. Yeah. But he yeah. has the spirit with him.
2: Then he so gets removed.
0: But it just seems, here's this whole ecclesiastical side and here's the lawyer side. You go through the whole ecclesiastical thing over an ecclesiastical issue and you get an ecclesiastical forgiveness, okay? Right. and An ecclesiastical rebaptism and an ecclesiastical restoration of your ceilings. Yeah. But now you've got to go through church legal. Yeah. It's just incredible to me. It's just like these two sides of things. And yet, um, I guess the ecclesiastical side is not good enough. You have to go through church legal to have the annotation removed. How did you feel? about that?
1: Um, how did I feel about the church legal thing?
0: Yeah, in 18 to 24 months now after everything you've been through?
1: Yeah, I was so, it was like a, like a, I lost my breath, I, like I got slugged in the stomach or something. It's like really? My husband too. My husband was pretty upset and I'm like you haven't even gone through this for years after year after year. <sighs> yeah. That was about in 2015.
0: Mm -hmm. Now we've got about half an hour left. Okay. And I understand that basically you've been through a lot. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test. And this one is just like a test too far. And it's like, this is affecting your ability to put the confidence that you need in the leaders of the church as speaking for God. Right. And so you end up right now you're out of the church, right?
1: Yes. I've been out a couple, a year and a half, maybe two years.
0: Okay. So from 2015, 2018 is this time period between you finding out about the annotation, having to go through church legal and you basically disconnecting yourself from the church.
1: Right. Oh, and by the way, before the final, before it was finally removed, after all this time, the stake president, what does he ask me again? What? When was the last time you had contact with your ex-husband? Really? Yeah. Still. He says, I'm so sorry, but I have to ask this. Uh Yeah. So, and I mean, yeah. So I was ready to, I was ready to just not be in the church. But of course, you know, my husband kind of drugged me back in there.
0: Yeah. And you want to be a, you want to be supportive of him.
1: Yeah. And then, yeah, we moved again. And,
2: um, I, and by kinda- the
0: way, the state president, you know, I know they have all these policies right, left and up and down about polygamous because of their concerns, which I think are legitimate. And yet I think that on the other side, when you have a person who's in your position, having been through it the way you've been through it and done everything you could to get it behind you, including escaping from polygamy mountain, maybe they can't exactly see how that could be taken by you. What do you mean? Well, that you have to continually be dogged about this, even though you put this so oh. far behind you and you hated it when you were doing it.
1: Yeah, true. I mean, it was painful.
0: Yeah, it's like they don't trust you.
1: Yeah, they don't it's trust like, me. They don't believe me.
0: It's like they don't have a spirit of discernment to tell for themselves. That's right. Okay. That's right.
1: And so I, all this was going on. And then um, I was kind of starting to think about maybe not going to church anymore. I started only going to sacrament meeting. And then they, we had moved the branch president. He knew about the annotation because uh, it was still there when I moved. Um, But he wanted to call me into the, um, to be a seminary teacher, early morning seminary teacher. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, I, you know, I'm half out here. I kind of want to not do this. And he, Oh, you've got to do it. You'd be the best for these kids. They would love you and you would love them. And he says, I just, you're the one. And so after about a week, I never say no to a calling. And so I went ahead and accepted and I taught seminary for two years. So, um, and during this time, I had a friend that I've known since the seventies and he had left the church or was just leaving the church. And he asked me about these church essays. And of course, after teaching seminary and getting all back in, um, I didn't want to hear anything about the church essays. I didn't, I'd never heard of them. And um, he says, nobody wants to read them in the church. He says, you know, they said they're going to stick with the, you know, the scriptures and conference talks and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, um, I thought, well, you know, he's just bitter, and he's looked at anti, anti-Mormon stuff, and um, so I I was still his friend. Most people in the church um, were no longer friends with him, didn't keep in touch with him, um, kind of shunned him type of thing, and he, and he voiced that to me, and he told me people in the church only do it because, only do service because they want to, um, you know, get more points so they can get in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. And I thought, well, I don't do that. And, um, anyway, no, you,
0: no, you just get uh, married polygamously so you can get to the highest degree <laughs> of the celestial kingdom.
1: <laughs> That's all you have to do. <laughs>
0: you don't help old ladies across the street to do that. You go all the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so he, uh, he would still contact me and I'd let him do his thing, you know, and finally, um for some reason, I don't know what it was, I just I thought, you know, I'm gonna look into these church essays. And then I'm sitting there going, I wasn't taught about a stone in a hat or whatever. I was taught about a Urim and Thummim as far as translating the scriptures and you know, all this stuff. And then they and then when I looked into the I'm thinking all these things that this guy told me are right here. The church is admitting to these things he's they're admitting to joseph smith marrying somebody that was three months shy of her 15th birthday um and all these things i thought were rumors and i never picked up an anti-polygamy anything i mean i was right there um close to the church you know and so that just um Pretty much sealed it for me. I didn't have to go into the CES
0: letter. Sue, you said you didn't pick up an anti-polygamy anything. Did you mean anti-Mormon anything?
1: I mean, yes, I'm sorry. Anti-Mormon. Okay. (laughs) Anti-Mormon.
0: You never read anti-Mormon literature? No. And now this guy, this friend of yours from the 1970s, convinces you to go on the church website and read the church essays because they were on the church's website.
1: Yeah. After a couple of years, I thought, well, I'm just going to look. And then I'm like, I can't even find the things. How do you find them?
0: I know you're trying to find him. You can't find him. No. (laughs) A lot of people have that problem. I don't know why that is. I wonder, why do you think that is?
1: I think the church puts stuff there just so it's there, but they don't want people to look at it. So, um, if they make it hard to find, they're not going to look for it.
0: Right. And even if they know it's there and are looking for it, they can have difficulty.
1: Yeah, and the CES letter, I mean, my friend kept trying to talk me into reading that, and I'm like, that sounds like anti-Mormon stuff. I'm like, it
0: is. Yeah. <laughs> That's anti-Mormon. Just stick with the essays.
1: <laughs> Just stick with the church stuff.
0: <laughs> so you're shocked at this because all the things that you had heard about is rumors, and they were anti-Mormon lies. All
1: the we're on my little shelf, my big shelf, yeah. my big dirty shelf. <laughs> yeah.
0: And now you're finding out that the church is admitting that they're all true.
1: Yeah. And then that pretty much, uh, crashed my shelf and I'm like, I'm done. This is false. Just all of a sudden it hit me in the face. This is a made up church. This isn't even true. Um, Joseph Smith was really good at stories. He was, uh, you know, whatever. The reason people were chasing him. And then I have a friend that's in Utah that I used to work with that he told me that, um, he says, you know why the mobs were chasing Joseph Smith? And I'm like, well, yeah, they didn't like, I mean, they, they're, you know, they were trying to confound the restored gospel. And he's like, no, he divulged the secrets, the Masonic secrets. And I'm like, oh, and he's like, my uncle, you know, is in the Masonic lodge or whatever. And that's the whole thing. He says, of course, nobody believes that that's in the church. So.
0: Yeah. I think there were a lot of reasons that people had to be upset with Joseph Smith.
1: I'm sure, yeah, and you know the thing that's the thing is um, what are those penalties?
0: Temple penalties, you mean the ones that were barred from the Masonic ritual?
1: Yeah, the temple,
0: yeah, the masonic temple, the Mormon temple. yeah, no connection whatsoever. <laughs> Okay. What is that a little after, disclaimer that they have at the end of movies? Any similarity between these these temple rituals and those temple rituals is purely coincidental.
1: Gosh! <laughs> like, how could I even fall for that thing for forty-seven blessed years?
0: Okay, now so, so when
1: I joined the church, I was, uh, you know, a kid. I was a agnostic slash atheist. I didn't care. I didn't know. Didn't, you know, I'm back to that
0: point. You've returned to your roots.
1: Yep. (laughs) And I I sure am happy. I'm telling you.
0: Oh, and you could have been happy for 47 years and not had the detour to Idaho and Mexico.
1: No kidding. Worst mistake I ever made in my whole life, even above the polygamy thing, which wouldn't have happened, was join the church. Wow. Yeah.
0: Sue, I cannot tell you how many people that I've heard express the same sentiment. How could I have ever fallen for this?
1: Yeah. Have I you didn't... thought
0: about it enough to give us an answer? No. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people haven't. I'm not sure that, you know, I have an answer for it. I was just wondering if you could give us some enlightenment there.
1: Um, I I mean well, my husband's family looked like they were a, you know, Mormon happy family. Boom. Was,
0: there's one big thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I wanted a family can be together forever. You know for
0: Heavenly Father's plan.
1: Yeah. You could be together forever with your family. I don't believe it. I mean, maybe, but um, I don't think that you got to pay tithing and um, buy church magazines and pay fast offerings for it to, to earn that.
0: Yeah. Just you, Joe, and Sylvia forever in the celestial kingdom.
1: <laughs> could you imagine? Sounds oh ideal gosh. to me. Oh, that would be and horrible.
0: Spending your days working out in the garden and coming in and watching general conference every night.
1: Oh my gosh. It's a
0: little piece of heaven.
1: (laughs) I used to watch general conference. I had to, I had them recorded. I used to watch those. If when I married my, my husband that I'm currently married to, um, he had a teenager that was, you know, the youngest of nine and he was so entitled, no chores, just so spoiled and of course, my kids were milking goats and collecting eggs and working in the garden and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we—I didn't get along with him at all. And anytime we had a little blow-up, I'd sit out there and watch. I'd get up in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep, and I'd watch General Conference.
0: <laughs> because that's as, that's as good as a sleeping pill. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you did it.
1: No, because I wanted to feel feel warm again instead of the horrible. Yeah. His son, he's, he's gone on a mission and he's, he's real, he's a, he's a good kid, but I mean, he was pretty spoiled.
0: Yeah. That will happen to the best of us, <laughs> but let me tell you this. Okay. We've got 15 minutes left. Now you had a certain um, run in or exchange of emails with your state president, your current state president in the last yeah. couple years. I did a podcast on that. I want to let the audience know it's called the apathetic. No, no, no.
1: Antipathetic.
0: Yes. See, I can't even remember. It's another A word. I'm having trouble with my A words today. By the way, this is January 8th, 2021. This is National A Word Day.
1: (laughs) Antipathetic.
0: I know. And I had to come up with that. Antipathetic. I don't know how many people understood what it meant. I hope they looked it up because it means that you don't like it, right?
1: That's right. But you go along with it.
0: Yeah, you're antipathetic. You're the antipathetic polygamous. That's the name of an earlier podcast where I read this exchange that you had with your state president. So we'll skip that and I'll refer the audience to that. We've got 15 minutes left, but here's the thing I want to get your insight on.
2: Okay. You
0: have actually experienced polygamy. And so you've also read the essays. You've also listened to, I understand, um, a recent Fair Mormon video <laughs> And I hope you did this again because I didn't um, I don't oh no, you, you know you were so bad. You're, you're so disobedient now. You're not <laughs> listening not to your priesthood leaders,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but here's the thing is that um, there are apologists for the early practice of polygamy uh, and fair Mormon did um, a recent video. It's called Mo wives, Mo problems, which you had watched. You're the one who brought it up a yeah. few weeks ago. And More recently, Jim Bennett has been doing a discussion on Mormon stories with John DeLinn, and they go over the subject of polygamy as well as other subjects, and he gives an apologetic response to it. Although I think he's trying to say, yeah, that was a mistake, or at least the way Joseph Smith did, it was a mistake. Anyway, there's all these apologetic um, approaches to it from members of the church. And the one at Fair Mormon is, of course, much more dismissive, I think, of the subject, and much more mocking of people who have a problem with it. But you had watched that Mo Wives, Mo Problems, Video, And I want to ask you, what is, as a person and a woman who has actually been through polygamy and escaped, what is your take on apologists and the way they try and justify Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy?
1: Well, I think that these people that are so quick to be uh, apologizing for it Um, need to sit down with those that their lives have been turned upside down and and really people that have been damaged by polygamy and um, you know it is part of the church and even though we're not supposed to be living it today some of these um, oh what are they called when they're they're fundamentalist Mormons the reason they've fallen away from the church is because they feel like the church has um, gone astray because Uh, They're trying to make sure everybody feels warm and fuzzy with the government, with people. And so these fundamentalists are just trying to live what Joseph Smith restored from God. Um, I totally disagree with it because I, as we know, uh, well, as I know, Joseph Smith uh, made everything up. Um, But I don't think they realize the damage it does. And those fair, those, What's that guy's name? Quaku?
0: Quaiku L and um Brad Whitbeck.
1: Yeah, I mean they're so flippant about it. Um, and I just I just don't think that they understand the damage that it does. Otherwise, how could they be so flippant and so um excusing of the whole thing? I really yeah, it's an
0: interesting perspective that you bring because of course. I think it's an easy matter for them and for most of us to be much more dismissive of what's happened 200 years ago to people, but in this strange situation, they're actually being dismissive of the situation with women 200 years ago, when it's still happening today because it happened two years ago, just in a branch of Mormonism that separated itself from well the well the LDS version. I'll just call it the LDS version if that's okay. okay. The Salt Lake version separate itself from that in order to preserve what Joseph Smith himself originally restored and practiced. So when they're being flip about that, they're actually being flip about you and other people like you in the here and now.
1: Right. And of course, you know, we are the ones that have gone and done the wrong thing, but in all reality, I mean, if the church really is true, um, I don't believe that they would get they, sh- if that is a true par- principle, and that's an eternal principle. That's something that shouldn't be taken away.
0: Right. So, and in fact, one thing that Jim Bennett has mentioned a couple times in his discussion with John DeLynn is he gets this right, which is, he talks about Section One Thirty Two, and he says that eternal marriage is inextricably tied with polygamous marriage. Right. And it is in section 132. In fact, that was the predication of it. That's what made it celestial marriage was it was a polygamous marriage. In fact, that's what it was called. It wasn't until about a hundred years later under J Reuben Clark, I think who came up with the bright idea of saying, okay, we're going to take the same phrase celestial marriage, which has historically meant polygamous marriage. And we're going to divorce it from its meaning to polygamous marriage. And we're just going to talk about celestial marriage as eternal marriage between one man and one woman. And that was a brilliant move on his part, but it's, it's, disconnected us from the historical usage of that term to the point where when we say celestial marriage today, what do we think of?
1: Well, a husband and wife,
0: right? Go into the temple, going to get married, going to live forever and be happy. Just the two of them, right? Right. In the celestial kingdom. so Yeah, we've got that situation, but I think that what's going on with modern day apologists can be a warning to us all, including myself, that, even though it seems easier to mock or make light of or be judgmental of people who lived in the past, maybe it's helpful for us to realize that they were real people too. Right. And that it's not just names and words in a book, a history book about them, but they're real people too. And right. That-
1: they have lives. They experienced this. It's not a good experience. People are still experiencing it because Joseph Smith restored it.
0: Right. Right. So uh,
1: people are trying to cling to what the true church is all about. However, these other people think that all they're doing is, you know, going, they're going astray, (laughs) but they're, they're hanging on to something in the Mormon church. The garments keep getting shorter and smaller and the, and the temple, temple covenants keep getting, um, less and less so that there's nothing really left of, what Joseph Smith originally restored.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point too. Uh, what do you think is causing that?
1: Well, because people don't feel warm and fuzzy when they hear they're going to get their their neck, their throat slit or their guts spilled out if they reveal something. That's not warm and fuzzy.
0: So that got so the penalties are removed. What about yeah. the garments being shortened?
1: Oh, well they used to be I mean, they used to go down to your knees.
0: Oh yeah, they were long johns. Yeah. And well, you wore them I as long as I
1: came across. I just came across. We just recently moved into another house and I just came across my original um, one piece garment that I wore in the temple. And it was long down to the sleeve, down to the uh, ankles, down to the wrists. It had, you know, it had, I'm trying to think these had buttons and it had a collar and it came all the way up to your neck. So, and it was a one piece thing.
0: Sue, so what temple was that? An LDS temple?
1: Salt Lake Temple. Um, I mean, yeah, that's what we wore. And what year like,
0: was that? Nineteen
1: seventy-four. No, seventy-five. Sue, so
0: I did Christmas not. Christmas. I did not realize that those long temple garments were really that recent.
1: Seventy-five. <laughs> <75? laughs> that's fifty years. 45 years ago.
0: I know, but I went through the temple in 79 and they weren't long at that time. So I've always thought.
1: Isn't that interesting? That was quick.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm lucky. And um, then it wasn't long after that, they went to two piece.
1: Yeah. But that one piece thing. Yeah. That's what you wore. I mean, that was the thing you changed into. I mean, and they no longer do the, the uh, washing and anointings when you're naked and touch you in places they shouldn't be touching you.
0: Right. There's a poncho.
1: Yeah. Well there used to be a poncho, but you were naked under it.
0: Oh, and you're not naked anymore?
1: It was a shield, what?
0: You're not naked anymore?
1: I don't if you are, then you're covered up more and they don't touch anything.
0: I cut I, I think that you're right. And I can't remember the details of it, and I haven't experienced it uh, since they've made the changes, the washings and anointings. So yeah, I think that you're right. They keep they keep changing things and you know, I think some changes are probably good.
1: Well, I mean, if that's the original way that they used to do it, then they shouldn't be changing it. Why are they changing it? So everybody feels warm and fuzzy.
0: And I think another way of looking at it is that they're changing it in order to align more and more with societal mores and customs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't a revelation. I'm never going to buy that ever. Just like I'm never going (laughs) to,
0: you're never going to what?
1: Well, I mean the whole first vision. I'm, I'm not buying that.
0: Why are you not buying that? Because I'm sure that there were many a fast and testimony meeting where you got up and bore your testimony. Oh, yes. that it was true.
1: Oh, and in seminary every day. Yeah. For two years. Um, because, because there's too many discrepancies. And before I said, well, you know, I, I was an apologist.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're all apologists as Mormons. We have to be to survive.
1: You have to. Yeah. So whether you look at yourself as one or not, you are because you have to apologize for things that are don't, don't sound right. You know, don't, I mean, what's with that, you know?
0: And you know, the more you look at Mormonism, the more and more and more you find of things that don't sound right. And that need some kind of excuse. Right? Yeah. Well, Sue, we are almost at the end of our time. This is part two of escape from polygamy mountain. I want to know before we go, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience?
1: No, um I I think that I don't know. Um I've tried to when I first left, you know, I tried to reach out to uh polygamous anti-polygamous groups that were trying to help people get out of polygamy. Um and they were against the church some of them, so I didn't want to have anything to do with those cuz I was trying to get back in the church, but I wish there was a way to reach women that feel like they're trapped and can't get out. I wish there was a way for Women that are in the church that feel like they have to be um, submissive and obedient to their husbands. I wish there was a way to reach out to them that are being abused, that um, aren't being treated right. Um, you know, the church and then, you know, the whole thing. I think eventually maybe they'll get there. If they want to still have their little church, that's fine, but it, they need to stop with the. Um, making women feel like they need to be submissive to their husbands. Well, that's my big take on the home hormone church. If They want to be in there. They need to be treated right.
0: Right. Well, of course those doing the oppressing are not going to be reaching out to help the oppressed get out from under the thumb. But I think that's a great idea for an organization and perhaps to some small degree, this podcast will help reach out to people and let them know through your example that they don't have to continue to remain submissive, that if they are not happy where they are, they can escape like you did, and they can find fulfillment and happiness apart yeah. from the LDS church.
1: The church tells you to stay.
0: <laughs> well, of course they do. Because <laughs> this is the church's interest for you to stay. Oh my gosh. Sue, so thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your time with
1: You're
0: us. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, all right, so then, So that's been Escape from Polygamy Mountain, part two. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon signing off the air.